In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. First, I'd like to welcome Ladika for coming today and blessing us with his presence and being present at the service and at the talk to show his uh, support for these talks. Thank you very much, Ladika, for that. And we're going to continue on with last month's talk. Now, some of you have not been here before, there's a few of you, which makes it hard for the speaker, meaning myself tonight, because some of you haven't got the background knowledge of things that we've discussed before, so you might find it a little bit difficult. We are now, with God's help, up to, with His Eminence's blessing, talk number 33. For the first 30 or more talks, 31 talks, those who, have, who are familiar with them, they'll notice that I did not uh, speak much about certain topics for reasons that people would not be able to cope. So even teachers at school, for example, when they are going to teach something, they have to make sure that the students have background knowledge. So if they're going to teach, for example, equations, then they have to, of course, assume that the children already know algebra. They don't know algebra, they can't do equations. So I've left out a few topics. I've touched on them a little bit, but I, I not really have done that much on them. One of them is ecumenism. I don't speak much about that because I find that it makes people um, silly and they become all despairish or they start becoming zealots. And other topics like uh, uh, satanic things, which I also left, left a little bit I do touch on it, but not much. But in the last talk, in this talk, we are going to be emphasising that topic because, as I've said, there's already been 32 talks before this. Now, some of you, as I said, have not come to other talks, so you might find it difficult, but uh, we have to progress on. In the previous talk, there were four examples that I read. There was one from Anathos, which was to do with Elder Arsenios, which was a, I made a mistake last time. I didn't, wasn't a spiritual child of Elder Joseph, but he was a co-struggler of Elder Joseph. And that was the example of the monk who had all these bad thoughts, but he couldn't open up to his elder, and Elder Arsenios helped him. And we, we saw how important it is to open up our thoughts, our open up our inner being, to our confessors when we go to confess. Very unhappy is the person who hides things from their spiritual father. It's very, very important for a person's salvation because as we learnt, the devil then was tricking this person. He got all confused. The second example was on the vigil lamp, which was about a monk who used to light the lambadas, as we call them in Greek, candilla, um, vigil lamps, the oil lamps. And he heard a knock at his door and he heard a voice 
saying to him, I think a woman's voice, if I remember right, saying to him to go down to the chapel to light my vigil lamp, which was he assumed was the mother of God. And he went down to light up the vigil lamp, which had, which had gone out. And we learned from that 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 actually was a demonic temptation, that it wasn't at all the mother of God. What was important in that talk was that we saw that the demons can make voices and speak. And that will help us later on when we start learning about other uh, things in the church of what's happening today, like the mediums, people that supposedly speak to the dead and they supposedly, you hear, people hear voices, or when, we, when, when we're going to learn about UFOs or charismatics and other things that are happening today which are very important. Because we have learnt that example, we now know that the demons can speak and people can hear voices. This, the third one was about a proud monk who went against his elder who told him to carry one plank because they were building something there on Manathos and he wanted to carry three and because of his disobedience he got possessed. And I explained to you people because you say, oh, does that mean if we do one thing wrong that we're going to get possessed? And I put it into context and said to you that this monk was living with his Yerunda, meaning with his starets or elder. Is that what you say? Starets? Starets. And for a person that's living under obedience in that situation, which is even, which is even more difficult than a monastery. See, in, in Manathos or other monasteries in Serbia and Russia, we have what's called Kinovia, large monasteries, which of course the monks and the nuns have to promise obedience. But when they live in a little hut, like a little house, like they do in certain areas, in skeets and things like that, they are under 100% obedience to their elders. And St. Ignatius Branchinov says that that is one of the most difficult types of life which only a few can do. This particular young monk, well, he was under that condition. He had to be obedient to his elder 100%. St. Ignatius calls it unconditional obedience, which, of course, we do not live by that type of standard. doesn't mean we're not going to be obedient to our spiritual fathers, but there it's for everything. When to drink water when to eat, when not to eat, etc. It's very strict. But that is something only a few can do. And then we read the fourth one, which was about the deception of, the, of a deacon who was struggling together with St. Friados, which I think is a Western saint. They were somewhere and they were like recluses. And it said there that some figure appeared to him, which he thought was Christ, because the, because the figure that appeared said, I am Christ and I want you now to go into the world and I want you to help people and heal people. And I didn't, because we were coming to the end last time in our talk, I didn't emphasise that, that part in the life, which is that the deacon, it wasn't Christ that appeared, by the way, it was the devil, that appeared to the deacon in the image of Christ and said to him, go out into the world and heal people. And it says in, in the life that he was able to lay his hands on people and they got healed. Now, some people who are ignorant of their orthodox faith, which unfortunately today is quite a few, because we, people today are more interested in worldly things. 
in magazines, in fashions, in whatever is out there. What's the latest film? What's the latest video game? What's the latest software for computers? Everything, but not many people are interested in their faith. And because of that, people are not aware. So when an Orthodox Christian hears that someone can heal, straight away they say, well, if the person's healing, it must be from God. And we hear as well that in other religions, Hindus, for example, they say that they can heal. And Protestants, born-agains, they lay hands like Benny Hinn. You know Benny Hinn? Some of you have seen him in his white suit. And he does all these supposed healings. Now, are they being healed or not? I'm not going to say exactly to say that every single one of those healings or everything that happens is demonic. I can't say that. All I want you to know for today is that not all healing is from God. And the lives of saints point to us. That's why it's important to read the lives of saints. I remember I did a talk many years ago, talk number three or four, which said, can we be saved without reading the lives of saints? And if I remember right, St John Chrysostom actually speaks negatively against those that don't read the lives of saints. Some people say, I read the Bible, and that's enough. Well, Protestants read the Bible as well, but they're all confused. An Orthodox Christian who says they just read the Bible is a Protestant. Orthodox Christianity is not just the Bible. Orthodox Christianity is not just the Rada. The Rada is the, is the canons. Some people read the canons like a bedtime book, and they read it, read it, read it, and then they judge everyone and say, look, the canon says that a priest shouldn't do this, and etc., and the bishop shouldn't do this, so they do it. So that's one. We can't just read the Rada. We, the Pithalion in Greek. How do you say it in Slavonic? So you heard that. So I, couldn't re- I wouldn't be able to repeat it. So that's the Rada, what's called the, the Book of Canons. And then we have the lives of saints. We have the writings of the Holy Fathers. Orthodoxy is everything. And I've compared it to someone who just eats one type of food. You can't just have one type of food or one type of vitamin. What do the doctors say? A balanced diet. You have to have your right amount of vitamin B and vitamin C and vitamin D and vitamin E, etc. And all your magnesiums and all these things. Has to be all balanced. Sometimes you need more of one than the other. But in general, balance. That's the same in orthodox spiritual life. We need a balance of everything. Yes, the Bible. Yes, the lives of saints. Yes, the, to learn what's the canons of the church to some degree. Yes, the writings of the Holy Fathers. Everything. In the last talk, talk number 32, I wrote a little introduction at the back, which I thought would be good for us to read and just to start off on there. And I wrote here that we often hear that an Orthodox Christian should focus on loving Christ and being a good person and not spend his time worrying about or discussing the demons. Now, this is often heard, and unfortunately even by some clergy, who actually teach this. Few, of course, but there are some. The same people who say this often put down those who do speak about that topic. So, there are clergy 
priests, bishops, etc., monastics, who do speak about the tricks of the devil, etc. Father Seraphim Rose, for example, he wrote The Soul After Death, he wrote The Orthodox Religion of the Future, and um, we have all the writings of the saints. Someone said to me the other day, I understand what you mean when you say that um, the saints speak about the enemy often. He said, I was looking at St. John of Cronstadt's My Life in Christ book, and he said every single paragraph had a reference to that, where St. John of Cronstadt spoke about the enemy, and that's from the enemy, and that passion's got the enemy behind it. And he often would speak about the temptations that he went through from the enemy, from the devil, from the demons, etc. So for us to actually say that we only speak about good things and not about demonic warfare, etc., not to know the tricks of the demons is actually uh, a trick of the demons. Because as the fathers of Manatha say, I remember when I went there, they would often say, the biggest which means the biggest accomplishment of the demons is to make people believe they don't exist. Once they've got, to, once they've got people to be unaware of them, of their existence, then he's already got those people. So that is very, very dangerous. Now, I also said here that Elder Paisios of Manathos, a contemporary saint of Greece, when he was writing the book of Eldar Senos of Cappadocia, which I think we have at the back, he had a lot of references in there of possessed people, etc., etc. And he was told, or he was advised, because a lot of his books have been translated into other languages, and he was told, he says, you've got too many references about these things. Take them out. Because, for example, one of the translations was in, was in French, they said, oh, the people want not for the French Orthodox, they go, the people won't understand it. Europeans, the West, in other words, won't understand these, these references. He said, and they said to him, leave them out, take them out. And he said, no, he's not taking them out. So that is a very, very good example to see that the intellectuals and those who have no idea, as, as Father Seraphim Rose says, of the ascetical life of the Orthodox Church, those who are not struggling with their passions, have no idea of demonic warfare, etc. I would like to say that in a, in a quite a negative way, how dare anyone actually say, and they've said it to me as well, they go, oh, don't speak about those things. Even, even a couple of people last time were quite negative and say, oh, don't worry, we don't worry about this. Just our struggles and struggle with what? What are you struggling with? Bozo the Clown. Who are you actually, who are you actually struggling with? Then I, I object to that because today in society and especially influencing Orthodox Christians, which is what we priests are, are here for, all priests, is we see, especially on TV, so many programs on mediums, clairvoyance. John Edwards, as I've said before, the one who speaks with the dead. So many people out there. 
or the ones that can touch someone's clothing and supposedly know. And how many Orthodox Christians go to these things? Astrology. UFOs. One clergyman said once, Father Seraphim Rose, he did write about UFOs, but that's not a real problem now. It's continual. It's continual. There's a whole group of people that are, that are obsessed. And when you speak to Orthodox Christians, they say, oh, well, maybe there is life in, on, on other planets. And people have seen things. And people have been abducted. And they've seen, like, uh, creatures that have come. Some short, some long, some all different people. And they said that, uh, I remember reading an account where they said that the police were shooting at this figure and the figure was even doing uh, somersaults in the air. So it was an acrobatic Martian. <laughs> so this is what people see. And yet a lot of Orthodox Christians don't know what's happening. And that's why people might think, oh, these books are to make money and things like that. No, not interested. The books are there for people to purchase from all we you know, Cabramana has a bookstore as well, some services have bookstores. Go and purchase books, read, study, stay close to the spiritual father, but especially struggle with your passions. When someone struggles with their passions, when someone is actually wanting salvation, then God opens up their minds to understand quite a lot. Coming to talks is not even enough. A lot of people come to talks. But unless the person is struggling, unless the person is desiring salvation, then whatever I say will go into the person's mind. Whatever you read will go into the person's mind. Whatever you hear at church will go into the person's mind. And somehow it will be grinded into some unrecognisable thing. It won't even be the same. I remember once doing a talk years ago here and I was speaking, I think it was talk number 12 about dating and girlfriends and boyfriends and all these things. And I was saying that, you know, it's not necessary. These things are silly. These are, these just, and when, when I tell people... For example, you know, it's not important. Why do you have to have a girlfriend and boyfriend go, oh, thanks for telling me. I'm really relieved. I thought that's what I have to do. And other things as well that people are thinking that they're forced to do. Anyway, at the end of the talk, a person, uh, a person came up to me, even though he just heard all that, and he was saying to me, oh, you know, uh, the thing, the chicks and the chicks and the chicks and the chicks. I said, what? I thought he worked at some chicken farm or something. <laughs> that he was throwing, that he must feed chickens or something. He was going, chick, 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 chick. And he was talking about the chicks. And, and I just finished speaking for three hours about that. And then I might do a talk on visions, like I did last time. Visions or about we shouldn't believe in dreams. Lo and behold, after that, someone will come up and say, I saw a dream and I saw a vision and I saw this and I saw that. And I say to myself, but I just said all that. What does that help me to understand? It helps me understand that if people aren't leading a spiritual life, the word of God cannot be understood. doesn't matter how clear you say it. They will not understand it. There needs to be spiritual struggle. Now, 
I wanted to say a few things before I start on, on the first um, account. Sometimes people have said to me, why do you speak about these things but sometimes the parish priests don't? It's as if they're trying to say that the parish priest is slack or something like that. And I want to explain that a little bit. Firstly, I'm not a parish priest, so therefore I don't have anyone on top of me except for the bishop. I don't belong to a parish. Parish priests today, in this time, and this time of, our, of, um, of the world, is very, very difficult. There are so many pressures. As I've said a few months ago, priests, thanks God not in the Russian church, but in some other churches, priests can't even baptise the children with three full immersions because they're scared that the parents might even sue them by saying, oh, you know, after you dip the child under, you put the head under the water, the child got sick or things like that, or the child might cough. People have gone that off. People, the priests can't even speak about a lot of important things. It is so difficult today. Imagine now a priest at a funeral and the person who's departed might be a person who really had nothing much to do with the church. And usually a priest does a sermon during a funeral. A lot of times now they don't. Why? Some people say, oh, they don't even do, they don't even speak. But the point is that if a person who's just departed has not really got much, hasn't, didn't have much of a relationship with the church, if at all, but he's, he was orthodox, how is the priest going to say in front of everyone, one needs to be a spiritual person to be saved, that a person must confess, and it's very important to confess. That person may, never have, may not have confessed. So what happens then is that the people are going to say, are you saying that my father's gone to hell? Are you saying that my brother's gone to hell? Etc., etc. It's very hard for priests to speak about some very important issues like feminism. Because a lot of people have been brainwashed by feminism. And even some obvious things. Like, for example, we can say name days are meant to be celebrating the saint. We don't have a, a drunk, drunken celebrations with people dancing and being wild. That's not a thing. Sometimes you could say that, and then the, pre, then the people are going to say, well, what do, you, you know, what do you think we are, monks? And they go on and on and on and on. So, some of you might actually say now, well, the, that's the priest's duty and he has to say it. And that's not really, f that's correct, but not correct. The priest has to use discernment in the circumstances that he's in. For example, it took me 31 talks to get to the stage where I even read those examples that I read last month. 31 talks. A lot of people today are far away from the church and they do not understand the church's way of life. And as a result of that, what the priests have to do is slowly, without causing problems, bring the people around 
to the Orthodox faith. I'll give you an example even from myself as a teacher. I used to say I, say I went to a new school. I'm quite a strict person, that's the way I am, I, that's just my nature. But if I would go to a new school and have, this is before, when, before I became a priest, and I had uh, classes that never knew me, they, they didn't know who I was. They're not going to respect me because they don't know me. Who, who, who's he? They don't care. New teacher. So what they, what they do is they muck around. And I can't go in there and start to demand from them exactly the way I want, which is the way I'm used to. No one to speak, everyone to listen, similar to what we have here today. But in the school situation, that's how I, that's how I am. But I couldn't get that in the beginning. And some of them were like crazy. But, but what, what I did was that I would work on them slowly, slowly, and give my punishments slowly, teach them, show an interest, especially to show an interest, call them back at lunchtime if they need extra help, That's, that people like that, but at, and presenting interesting lessons, etc. Within Within a couple of months, every single class was perfect. Absolutely perfect. Exactly what I wanted. But I couldn't do it straight away. That's the same. When a new bishop comes to a, um, a diocese, he might see things that are not right. He doesn't come in and start, you know, giving punishments and telling people what he wants. He slowly, gradually, within a couple of years, sometimes it might take until he comes, every, until he gets what he wants of the way he wants to run his diocese. The same as a priest that goes to a parish. And I've spoken to people on a private level that say that, oh, they've been appointed and now their supervisor say of a job. And, and I say to them, slowly, don't go in there and start going, you do this, you do this, you know, as if you're a dictator. Slowly, slowly, show that you're fair, show this, show interest, be proper, do your, be diligent. So that's what happens a lot in the parishes today, that it's a slow process. So why am I telling you all this? Because a lot of times we judge when we see things. And one thing that I like to do in these talks is I like to put people's attitudes in the correct perspective to understand the difficulty. And I'll tell you another little secret so that you'll understand, which is something that they speak about a lot in Greece. A lot of clergymen, because they are priests, and they're struggling for the salvation of their, of their flock, they get hit a lot. They go through a lot of demonic warfare. Now, some of you, and as the fathers of men often say, if a lay person has one demon on them bothering them, monastics, priests, etc., have many, many on them fighting them. And what they do, the demons often fight not just the priest, but also the presbytera, which is what we say in Russian, Matushka, I think it is, 
Presbytera, you think, is in Greek, the priest's wife, the priest's children, they, they, they get hit a lot, quite, quite a lot as well. And a lot of times, they may not be obedient to the priest. They might not dress properly or they might not live according to, the, according to what it should be for Orthodox Christians. And what happens is then that the priest finds it really difficult to talk about matters which his own wife or his own children aren't doing. So that's another difficulty which comes along. A parish priest is ripped apart from all ends. So be understanding and say, well, as Orthodox Christians, you people as lay people, have to pray for your priest as well. And if you don't pray for your priest, you have no right to say anything because firstly, true love is that you're praying for the person before you put the person down because the person's in difficulty. So understand, I always say to someone, do you want to know what it's like to do, to, for a priest to do a liturgy? Okay, I'll tell them. I'll give you an idea of what it's like. I want you to go home and start to do your prayers. Just do a little bit of prayers and see what you go through. And see the um, pulverisation that you go through. And that's why a lot of Christian Orthodox, they don't pray. I've seen that as time goes on, I've been a priest now nearly close to 20 years, and I see it continually, do you pray? Oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. You don't have time? What, five minutes? But you've got five minutes, you can go through your emails. Another half an hour, another one hour to watch TV and all these other stupidities. And people say, I haven't got time. See, that's satanic. Because someone doesn't let them have time. And I say, no, you must try. Force yourself. And they come back to me and they go, oh, I can't. Uh, there's something that comes on me. Well, that's exactly what priests go through, but about a couple of thousand times worse, and bishops and monks and nuns and that's why people are always wanting to judge the people in black. Meaning, priests, judge this, judge that. So that's where I try to help people to be balanced. However, there are some priests who perhaps are not in a good position to be able to speak about certain things for the many reasons that we said, a difficult parish, a difficult committee, uh, this, this, uh, etc. Elder Paisios beautifully says in those books that they've written about him, he says that where the parish priest can't speak up a lot of times, he understood that as well, he said the monastics should be speaking up. The monastics should be examples. And he actually said when people come to monasteries to visit, the nuns, the monks should not let women in with pants. He says, keep to that. And some people said, no, you shouldn't do that because you'll scare people away. He said they must keep to that and they should wear scarves so that the people will learn from the monasteries 
and come back and start practicing it into the um, parishes. And that's why a true bishop wants monasteries. They love monasteries. There are bishops, of course, who don't want monasteries, but he won't have success. St. John Christum says, where there are monasteries, the jails are empty, the hospitals are empty. Where there's no monasteries or hardly any monasteries, that's that. In America now, we see, because of Elder Ephraim, for example, he's established 18 monasteries. But there's other monasteries from Serbian and Russians, etc. There's monasteries everywhere in America. What's the result of that? I'll give you one result. In 1995, if I remember right, I think I have a leaflet there. In 1995, the religion which had the most converts to it was the Orthodox Church. Not Catholic, not Protestant, not other religions. The most that people were coming, non-Orthodox, American-born, all those people, they were coming to the Orthodox Church. That's as a result of monasteries. Elder Paisio says the parish priests should not go against the monastics who teach those things, because they can. He says the priest monks, who are not connected to parishes, have more of an opportunity to speak, to say things. The problem is when some clergymen go against them and say, oh, they shouldn't be saying anything. In Greece, and I'm sure in Russia, the best the, the ones who we, we know about, who, who later on have become saints, some of them, or will become saints, the ones who helped a lot of people, were priest monks, Elder Epiphanius Theodoropoulos, Elder Porphyrios, well, Elder Paisius was, was, was just a monk. There's another one, Elder um, Yakovos from Evia. There's so many, and in Russia, so many priest monks who were not connected, or monks, who were not connected to parishes. And people would flock to them. The parish priest should rejoice and say, that's really good because that makes their job easier. Those people go to these priest monks and monks and um, eldresses, etc. Hear things in a better way, which is difficult sometimes in a parish to say. Etc. Now, I wanted to say to you, what I'm saying here to you today, I would not say in a sermon in church on, an, on a Sunday. Say, Father Alexander invited me and said, can you come on a Sunday and do a talk? I would not speak in the same detail as I'm speaking now. Because a lot of the people present may not be familiar with the topic and become terrorised. And they'll find it difficult. So this is where you need discernment. Here, you people came. You came to hear. So therefore, you've come to hear, and I will tell you. But in the parishes, sometimes people come because they're lonely. Sometimes they come for nationalistic reasons. They're Russian or Serbian or Greek, so they go to church. Sometimes they come because there's going to be a panahita, like in the Greek church, on a Sunday at the end of the service they have what's called the, the, the memorial prayer, mnimosimo, panahita in Slavonic. And so therefore there could be a hundred people that have come just for that memorial prayer. 
those people have hardly anything to do with the church. Now, you can imagine a priest coming up and saying, and the demons and this and that and, and, the he and hell and et cetera, et cetera. What's going to happen to those people? So there has to be slowly be giving out leaflets, speaking gently, teaching things on a more mild level, helping them to come to the church. And then when a person starts coming more to church, that's when the priest does more work. So don't judge and think that because the priest is not saying much in the church, it means that there's something wrong. He has to use what's called discernment. Some of you might say, speak, they have to speak. But that's not discernment, because that can actually drive people away. Even Christ, when we read in the Gospels, we see what discernment he had. When he spoke to different people, how he spoke. And I like the part where he went out far away, where people had to make an effort to go out there, where they had no food, and they were hungry, Christ would go out far away on purpose so that people can make an effort to come. He wouldn't speak a lot of times, a lot of his teachings to the general public, but he wanted to see people have some zeal. He wanted to see people come to him. When he spoke to pagans uh, like Pilate, etc., he only said a little bit. To the Samaritan woman, he spoke gently even though she had had five husbands or six husbands, whatever she had there, but he spoke gently, slowly, slowly bringing her to the faith. So understand that what's necessary today is discernment and don't judge because there will be problems with your spiritual life. Even if you see something wrong, people say to me, oh, I saw a priest do something wrong or I, the church is doing something wrong. And I say, yes. But if you go in your spiritual state to start talking about that or some people go and tell off the priest or things like that, I say you will, you will lose your spiritual peace because that's not for you to do. I'll give you an example here before we go on from Elder Porfirius's life to show what I mean. This person was writing from what, his, what he experienced with the elder. Elder Porfirius was a, is a contemporary saint of Greece. He died in 1991, I think. We went with a friend to carry out some jobs for the monastery, says the person's right near. We also had the elder with us in the car. At some point, I noticed that we were driving past the buildings of the Jehovah Witnesses. I felt upset and agitated because of the way that they destroy souls. What does the person mean? It means the Jehovah Witnesses, when they get their followers, the one thing that they tell them is that Christ isn't God. And for Orthodox Christians, that's the central dogma, that Christ is God. And the Jehovah Witnesses, as much as whatever they say, they don't believe that. They believe it's some created being and things like that. So this person was agitated and was upset. They say, oh, look at how many souls those people are, are um, taking. And they do. They actually convert quite a few Orthodox Christians. They do their job in Greece. They do their job everywhere, but they also take a lot of things. I've, there's a book I'm going to get soon from St. Anthony's Monastery in Arizona where they've actually written, I think we've got one up the back, but on Jehovah Witnesses, their whole thing. What they do, the records that they keep when they come to your house. They've got all these... They've got everything on record of 
who showed some interest, who showed a lot of interest, who was negative, etc. They do quite a lot of work. And they are true followers. They believe what they believe. They actually believe it. Not in it for money. They do believe. I mean, what money do they get? They walk around the streets in the cold. They get abused. They get chased. Instead of repenting for their sins, sorry, it says, I felt sorrow and agitated um, regarding these, these soul-destroying heretics, the man said. That was in the car with the elder. Instead of repenting for their sins, they strive to undermine faith in Christ of souls for which Christ died and rose again. The elder was silent. At some point I thought to myself, what does the elder think about this? Doesn't he get annoyed about these people and their works? You know, the, the, the person who's in the car was thinking, the elder, he's a saint, he's a saintly man. He must be really against the Jehovah Witnesses for what they're, for what they're doing. I immediately heard the elder say, because the elder read his thoughts, being that he was um, holy, Oh, those poor false witnesses of Jehovah, may God have mercy on them. Some, and he continued on the elder. Some Christians get angry with them, others quarrel with them, others swear at them, others chase them through the courts, because in Greece they're not an a, um, official religion. And a lot of people um, take them to court. In one area up at, uh, in Greece of Florina, where there was Bishop Augustine, who now is retired, I think he's still alive, he's about 105 years old, but he's retired, old and sick. But he, he, had, a, he had a way that when the Jehovah Witnesses would come, because up there, it's like a whole different area, that's northern Greece, I think that's the, the, the northern part. Every, every village was orthodox, everyone in the Jews he, he was a really great metropolitan, a holy person. He did a lot of work. And the practice up there was that as soon as the Jehovah Witnesses would come with their families to go around to the houses in the village, right, someone would go and ring the church bells. They used to ring, ding, 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 and everyone used to come out and chase them away. <laughs> and they were allowed to do it by law. Of course, here we live in a different country. But there are people who still get angry with them and chase them away and things like that. But, you know, we should. Anyway, he said some people get angry with them, others quarrel with them, others swear at them, others pursue them through the courts. Yet this heresy of the Jehovah Witness is not opposed like that. Listen to what this elder saying, this great saying. This heresy is not opposed by that. You don't, uh, you don't fight this heresy by quarrelling or by getting angry or by swearing at them or by chasing them. He goes, do you know how it's opposed, said the older. And there's another four words after this. When I read this, I really, really was moved to understand that when we read especially contemporary elders that lived in our times, whether Russian, Serbian, we have a lot. We have Elder Thaddeus in Serbia. We have St. Eustin Popovich, whose memory we celebrate today. He died in 1960. 79, 80, around there. Elder, Elder Paisios. So many saints that we have that lived in our times. When we read what people have written about them or their own writings, we learn from them how we should act, 
how we should think to do with things that are happening today. St. John of Christ had never spoke about the television. There was no television in his days. But these elders did live during the time of television. So we can see what do they say about television? What do they say about music? What do they say about a lot of things that are happening today? He said that we oppose the heresy when we become holy. When we become holy. In other words, when we as Orthodox Christians become spiritual, then we are opposing the heresy. What does he mean by that? What do you think he means by that? That when we become holy, we oppose the heresy. Does anyone want to attempt that? Yes? Um, because we oppose it by our example. Um, example. Example is very important because if we're going to speak against other faiths and about heresy, but yet our example is is horrible, then what's the point? That's just defeats. That's like hypocrisy. I remember a few talks before around I don't know how maybe ten ago. I said that when you walk into a house of an Orthodox Christian and you walk into a house of an unbeliever or a house of some other person. You don't see much difference. You see posters in the children's rooms, you see computers, you see all worldy magazines. The only difference is you might just have a little icon in the corner. And that's the way go, oh, are you orthodox? That's about it. There's no real difference much because we are living, we have been influenced, as one holy abbot said to me in Greece, there are so many distractions and so many influences that people cannot lead spiritual lives. It's very hard for them to lead, but they have to force themselves. So if we haven't got much of an example, if we're bopping away listening on our headsets to certain music and then we take them off to tell off a Jehovah Witness, then put it back on again and then go on dancing away, I think that's not a very good example, is it? And that's what happens. What he means by when we become holy, apart from what Helen said, which is that uh, the example, is that when a person is spiritual, God listens to their prayers. As the blind man said to the Pharisees, where has it ever been heard that a sinner opens the eyes of the blind, for example? Of course, there's physical blindness, but there's also spiritual blindness. And spiritual blindness can only be opened up through God's grace. And God's grace comes when we, as Orthodox Christians, pray for those people. But if our lives are corrupt, if we're full of sins that we haven't repented of, if we're not leading a life of struggle, then how is God going to listen to our prayers? So he says, with our holiness. And that's why these saints, if you look... A lot of times they didn't speak much to these people. They prayed for them. But we believe that the only way that we're going to bring people to the church is by speaking to them only. That's not correct. One more thing before I go to the question. That is silly, as I said earlier on, that people say that, oh, we shouldn't speak about demons, we shouldn't speak about that. That's very silly, and I've, I've, I made a joke, which I don't want you to laugh at it, because 
it's really serious. But I said this quite a few months ago, that it's getting to the stage where we have to use, like the television news, where they beep things out. And I've said this before, but since a lot of you are new. For example, the prayer to the guardian angel. This is what Orthodox Christians read every single night, what they should read. A holy angel that standeth by my wretched soul and my passionate life. Forsake not me a sinner, nor shrink from me because of mine uh, lack of self-control. Give no place for the cunning beep, to master me through the violence of my mortal body, etc., etc. Then goes on down the bottom. I have sinned during the past night. Protect me during the present day and guard me from every temptation of the beep. What am I saying? In other words, we are actually omitting every single reference to the demons and things like that. So that shows how silly it is to say we should only pray and think about Christ but nothing else. And there's another prayer to the Mother of God. Guard me by, by night and by day, I thought, talkers, and deliver me from foes. What are we going to do? Beep that out as well. Do we wipe them off the prayer book? Another one here. Deliver me from eternal fire. Do we, do we leave that out because people might get upset because there's references to hell? And from evil worms and from, from, um, from hell. Let me not be exposed to the rejoicing of demons, guilty as I am of many sins. So... What do we do? Beep, beep, beep. Or what do we do? Whitener and whiten them all out of the prayers. So what I'm trying to say there is that orthodoxy, actually, I'll just say one thing. St. Anthony said, St. Anthony the Great said, if it wasn't for the demons, no one would be saved. I think that says everything. If it wasn't for the demons, no one would be saved. What does he mean by that? He means that God allows the demons to fight us so that we fight back and through fighting back we achieve salvation. That's part of the plan of salvation. And to say that stupidity, which is a trick, to actually say, oh, let's not make any references to that, is in, its, in and of itself demonic. So let's go on now to show you um, a nice example which I have been meaning to read for, for a long time, but it just uh, never occurred. And just as I was putting all these papers together, which I'm sure we're not going to get through them, I remembered this story and I said, what a perfect night to read this life. This comes from the life of St. Nectarius. St. Nectarius, which is, uh, I love this book because it's actually the full version of his life. St. Nectarius is a Greek saint, the saint of our century, well that was last century. He died in 1920. He is a great saint, as you will see in what I'm going to read now. How much we will learn, just from this example. This is a story about a possessed girl from Piraeus, which is in Greece, whose name was Katerini. She suffered from demonic possession for years. We may not know this, but there are, there are quite a few people that do have this problem. When we mean possessed, we don't mean under the influence, because a lot, all of us are under the influence of demonic powers. They influence us continuously. St John of Cronstein says that all the time. 
they influence our thoughts, they influence our, our will to make us sin, they're behind the passions, they make us hate people, they make us judge people, they make us have revengeful thoughts. So that's one thing. But possession is when the demons actually live in the person. They actually are in the person. And as I said last month, the Catholic Church has reported that more and more and more people are suffering from this, that are, that are possessed. And the, even the Catholics themselves said that this is because people are getting involved in the occult in mediums and, and Hindu things and other types of satanic things. Gurus communicating with the dead. And we agree. The, the Orthodox Church agrees exactly with that. A lot of people go, even think it's harmless to go and get your coffee read. And people say, oh, don't speak about these things. It's impossible not to speak about those things because today, more than ever, these things have become part of life. For example, that sick show, which I did see a few times just to, to know what it's about, but it makes me, I don't know why, but that show makes me the most sick is Medium, with that stupid woman on there that supposedly sees all these dreams and now her children, from what I've heard, they've become mediums too and they wake up and they see dead people and they speak to dead people and they know all these type of things. And people watch that. It's a very popular show. It's been on, it's, I think it's been on TV now for four or five years, showing you how popular. They don't keep a show on if it's, unless it's popular. And the supernatural. And there's the old days was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And there's all these other uh, shows. And... Orthodox children are watching these things. Back in my days, it was bewitched, and it shows people that are witches that are nice people. Some of you who know, who are, who are a bit older, would know that, um, or even that Sabrina, whatever, the teenage witch, a nice person. An ordinary, what, does she go to school? I never watched that show, but does she go to school? I think whatever she does. She's a nice person. The medium woman, she's a nice person. On 60 Minutes last night, Ray Martin, as you know him, went to, he's in Africa because of the World Cup. It's a soccer thing, isn't it? Something I've never, never, never followed those things, but um, a soccer. And from what I heard today, the Australia lost as well. So, um, and Greece lost too. <laughs> well, who, who's next, the Russians? Um, so, he went and it showed this, which I was, I shouldn't be surprised, but then I would say to myself, and people say we shouldn't speak up, he actually went to a witch doctor, because Africa is full of that, we know about that, they're full of black magic, really badly over there, and witch doctors have power, and people might say, oh, it's all made up, it's not made up, because they, they do have power, they can make people die, can break up marriages, they can make people sick, etc. And people also here in Australia, there are people who can do that and there are people who go to them to supposedly undo something that's been done to them or to have something done on someone else. That's, that is rampant among the Greeks 
Russians, I'm not sure. Russians into it, Germans? I don't know if they're into it too, but Greeks and Serbians, they're into it. Because we were under the Turks for four, four, four five hundred years and now we're into it. And therefore Greece has been influenced, the Greeks and the Serbians, because of the influence from the Turks. And blue eyes and spells and all these type of things. He went to a witch doctor and the witch doctor was throwing down bones to see what's going to be, whether Australia's going to win. Unfortunately, she got the score wrong because she said it was going to be around whatever, three, one, I know, but from what I heard, Australia didn't even get one. Is that right? Four nil. So she, her bones must have been out of, out of whack. <laughs> the bones must have been out of whack that day. But the main thing is that that was shown on television and it was, not, it was like it's nothing. And then Ray Martin's there and he's smiling and he's talking to the, to, um, the witch woman there, whatever she is, and, and that's it. That is continual. And that's why, with God's help, the blessing of the Metropolitan, that these talks are going to continue and especially I want to get into a lot of these things. But we need these talks, these introduction. We need to read a lot of accounts from the lives of saints so as to be able to understand. We've already got one today, which was the healing. Voices, another one. That the demons can make voices, etc. We're going to hear other things as we go on tonight. But let's go on. So this woman was possessed for many years. And she visited... Saint Nectarius, the holy elder, one year before his repose, and he read the prayers of exorcisms. His soul was shaken by this event. The, 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 this saint's soul was shaken by the ferociousness of this person's demon that she had. And it says, for he, he was heard to whisper to someone, this girl is tortured by one of the most terrible demons. This, the story of this girl's terrible ordeal began when she was young. Katerina's father was Mark, Marcos, Mark, a superintendent of a high school. Anyway, it's not important. But the elderly, the elderly residents of Piraeus who were living then can still recall him. Katerina was a pure and lovely young girl who inspired uh, compliments by those who, who met her. People found her a very nice girl, a very pure girl. People would say, she's such a nice person. Your daughter, they would say to him, will one day break hearts. Your daughter will surely become great one day. She will be the wife of a wealthy man. These were some of the comments made for such was her health, her beauty. But Marcus was unfortunately a careless man. He swore and cursed and his swearing was often against the Lord himself that he would blaspheme against God. That's a very difficult thing, especially when people go to, like, Greece. Horrible. Even though that's an orthodox country, the blasphemy there is quite on a high. They blaspheme continually. And when you go to an island where there's the saint, they blaspheme the saint. Say, for example, when you go to Kefalonia, which is where St. Gerasimus is, which we're going to mention him uh, soon, uh, they, they would blaspheme him. So this is uh, a very big sin. 
and it needs confession, understand that God will forgive without a doubt as long as the person comes, repents and starts to struggle against that particular passion which is horrible. So this person, he had that passion. One day in a moment of anger, he swore a demon into his daughter and instantly her whole appearance changed. She became very dark, began to grunt like a calf and fell down and started hitting herself. And from that day on, she became the prisoner of a ruthless and terrible demon. This is another thing which happens. I've seen it in the Greeks, and I know that it happens in many other people, where we actually send our children or people to the devil. They, just, it's, they say, oh, go to the devil, go to hell. As part of an, a normal language. And I know for a fact from what I've read from a lot of the Holy Fathers that many children that have a lot of problems today comes from that. Now, of course, there will be some modernists that, that will say to you, oh, no, that, that can't be true, that God would never allow uh, a child to be punished because of the sins of the parents, etc. That's not correct. Right through our faith, we read that that does happen. The sins of parents can go on to the children. And people have even said to me, they go, when I do a certain sin, I notice that my kids become agitated. I go, that's because of the sin. I say, and people that get tempted to go on computers and look at inappropriate sites, etc., which is a problem with men mostly, I say to them, don't do that. Don't do that for your own soul, but don't do that also for your children because you leave them unprotected. Don't do that. If you don't care about yourself, then care about your children. Exorcisms were read constantly by an elderly confessor, but to no avail. One day, the demon confided to the priest, sometimes with God's permission, the demons do speak some truths. But, as I said in the last talk, that there are people who go on websites and go and listen to exorcisms or go to a places like in Greece, there's a few places where public exorcisms are done to go there. And St John Chrysostom says, never, ever go somewhere out of curiosity or where you're not praying, where people could be possessed there in the church. In the old days, they used to bring them to the church. And, and, you, and you just sit there without praying because St John Chrysostom said that they can come on to you. So God allowed the demon to say one truth and he said the following. Most of the time they lie. And that's why the Holy Father say, don't listen to anything they say. Because one day they'll say to the priest, oh, you're so holy. Your prayers burn me. You are so spiritual. And then the people go, oh, see, he's, he admits that our priest is good. Then the next day they'll say, oh, the other day, you did such and such and such and such and such and such. So then the people go, well, if he was right yesterday, he must be right today. So then the people start having suspicions against their priest. And that's why St. Paul in the Acts of the Apostles, when the woman, when the girl that was possessed, when she saw the apostles, she said, these people are from God. And St. Paul said, quiet, don't speak. And the interpretations of that is, 
because he didn't want people he didn't want people to believe them because yes they were from God they had come to preach the word of God so the people would say oh look the demons were correct they are from God look they're doing miracles and they're preaching to us so that the next day if he says anything else then they start believing so he just said quiet stop so that's even from the Bible so he said there are three of us there are three he says three great demons one is far away in China the other governs Russia and the third is talking to you meaning himself now the one that's governing Russia I would obviously means that he was speaking about the um, 1990 the revolution was hmm? No, no, 19, this was um, early. Uh, yeah, 1917, what's his name? Lenin, Lenin. So he was speaking about Lenin there. And that's true, because what he did was horrible. And thereafter, Stalin, etc. And the other one was in Russia. But I'm not sure who he's referring to. Do you know who was in Russia at that time? I mean, in China? Why is he mentioning China? Was he around in that time? He was later. But anyway, so fear, horror and great grief befell the girl's home in Piraeus. When the 16-year-old girl was overcome by catastrophic uh, manacle type of fits, not even her father, accompanied by three strong friends, could hold her down. That is, we said, a characteristic of the possessed. That it could be just a little child and they can't hold, them, they can't hold that child down. Or it can be an old woman, a weak old woman, who can throw off sometimes three or four men. Now, when you ask the psychologists about that, they try and make some logical explanation of how this old woman is able to throw off three, three strong men. Maybe they'll say that she, that, that she took especially a lot of multivitamins that day and she was able to throw off the um, the demon because when they're illogical they say stupidities I remember seeing a debate it was in, a, it was a, it was in Greece it was on, on television a Greek debate where there were psychologists and priests etc and then they were saying that the that, that these possessed people know this person's past they know their secret sins and the psychologist is trying to work out and go, oh, we don't know that. We've never been there to see that. At these times, they bound her hands and legs tightly and stayed with her, waiting until her fit, until she got over her fit. Her family constantly prayed during the day and all night, supplications. They offered her to uh, God, hoping that the offering would gain her soul's freedom. Many times she was brought to St. Elias's, as a little church there, which is a place called Monastiraki, which is in Greece, anyway. And um, today it's the ruined chapel. The officiating cleric there was Father Nicholas Planas, who's now Saint Nicholas Planas, another great uh, saint of the Orthodox Church. It was on these visits that they were exposed to the terrible blasphemies which the demons spat out from the girl's mouth. Sometimes she snorted like a pig, other times she acted like a, like made like mule noises, and only during the most holy moment when the Eucharist was consecrated that she would calm down. That means at the part of the liturgy where the priest changes the bread 
and the wine into the body and blood. At that time, the Holy Spirit comes down and changes the, 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 the bread and wine and it becomes body of, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. At that time, they would calm down and he would leave for a while. One time, there was an archimandrite from Egypt. Now we come to something interesting. An archimandrite is a priest who's a monk as well. He found himself in Athens on some religious business. Although he was a cleric, he was only by profession, for he thought that devotion to a symbolic religion was the same as having the truth on the side. Anyway, this person was a businessman. And we have to understand that that's true, that there are some people who become priests, thanks God, not in our church, but there are some people who become priests purely for money. And he was one of them. He, he really did not believe at all. When he performed the divine liturgy, he did it mechanically, without faith and humility, which is required of this bloodless sacrifice. While he was in Athens, he heard about this girl in Piraeus who was possessed and about the prophecies which the demons would often make. Now, demons cannot prophesy. What it means by prophecy is he would say things about people and he would say how many children they've got or he would say what their name is and other things. But sometimes he might guess some, some of the things in the future. Or sometimes he would say something, then he would arrange it. He would say, oh, today you're going to have an accident, then he would arrange the accident. So demons do not know the future. They can only guess the future, or they can set up the future. They say, oh, you're going to have a car, a road accident, and cause the road accident. That's it. They don't know the future. So that's why our, a lot of the Holy Fathers say, if they knew the future, then when you go to these people, mediums and other people, they will tell you. They will tell you a lot of things. Why don't they tell us what the lottery ticket? Who's won? Who's ever won these big lotteries where they show these trucks with all this money in it where the tyres break? Because, what is it? The lotto, whatever it's called. And they say, oh, you know, it's a big jackpot. It's going to be millions of dollars, etc. Well, if they had all these powers of prophecy, why don't they say? Why don't they tell people when they're going to die? Saints know. So that's important to know. But people come and say, oh, my auntie went to one of them, or I went to one of them, many of themselves, and they told me things that were secret. I said, yeah, what did they tell you? What was significant? I said, what? They, they know those things. They know. They know the past. They know the present. And they guess at a couple of you. Oh, they told my wife that she was going to have a girl. Yes, and she was pregnant. Yes. Well, demons are bodiless. They can see what's in the womb. That's, that's nothing. But why go to her? All you do is go have an ultrasound. It's cheaper. Why would, you, why would you have to go to a stupid woman to find out what the sex of your child is? Anyway, that's um, a bit too much, isn't it? So, so this Archimandrite, he heard about this woman, this girl, and he could not help but have a patronising smile in response to the talk. He was making fun. He goes, oh, sure. Yeah, these things don't exist. He said, he actually said here, um, these, there are no demons today. They simply do not exist. He then declared, it appears that this girl suffers from nothing more than clinical schizophrenia. 
See? And that's how people speak today. Look, we have to realise that there are a lot of people who are mentally ill who may have similar uh, things about them, like possessed, but they're not. This is where I often hear, as good spiritual fathers in Greece, they say that a person has to have a very good psychiatrist, a believing psychiatrist, and a good priest. And a lot of times in Greece, I think in Russia they do the same, they work together. They work together to see how much of it is it psychological, how much of it is demonic. And a lot of times it might not be demonic at all. I mean, not that they don't influence, but it's not that the person has that problem. And we have to be careful before we say something. Remember I told you once years ago that I was at a house and I saw a child and the the face was so dark and the child was strapped up on the high chair and they were the child was going berserk. It was actually screaming and, and I thought to myself, if someone saw that, they could actually say that this child is something wrong with it. I've never seen anything like it. And... I said to the parents to give the child some milk or something to feed feed it and the child whacked the food out of the hand and was kicking and screaming and and was only like a couple of years old and they said she doesn't want to eat and I said no, no, I think probably from my own experience of my own health, I thought that the child was having a sugar low. I don't think the child was fed. It was, it was left too long and it went down in sugar and it, went, and it was going berserk. And um, the mother was saying, no, it's not. There's something wrong with her. I said, nothing's wrong with her. Give us some milk. So they tried to give us some milk. She whacked the bottle of milk and I said, hold her hands down, put the milk in the, in the thing. And then because when they're like that, they don't know what they're doing. So they held her hands down, put the milk in. She drank the milk in about a minute and a half. After that, when she stopped the milk, she smiled. And after that, she ate three, four plates of food, which means that what purple could... They might have taken that to an ignorant priest who might have said, oh, the child's possessed, or take it to, to the grandmother and say, oh, the child's got something wrong, it's got the evil eye, and start spitting on it. Because Greeks spit on people thinking that they're going to remove the evil eye if they, if they um, <laughs> spit on the child. Or they take it to some person, they, oh, we have to take it to the lady. We have to take it to the lady so she can add water and oils and leads and, and, and do other things and, and go and tell the people to go to the ocean and wash one of the child's bibs at the ocean and then say a few prayers and, you know, as if, you know, it's one of the things to wear all feathers and things like that to make out that they're witch doctors or something. It's just ridiculous of how people go and misinterpret everything. People are ill today and the people that, but there are people who have got that problem. It needs a discerning spiritual father that will not jump to conclusions but be very careful uh, before they make conclusions like that. Okay, well, I'll read one more little part and then we're going to have a break. The writer of this book is saying, of course, it's a common characteristic for those who have departed from God to deny the existence of the devil. And I think that also says a lot too what I said in the beginning of, in the beginning of the um, talk. To hear someone say, oh, the devil doesn't exist, well, the person, he says, it means that they've departed from God. They're not really struggling. However, despite what he would say, 
His friends and acquaintances continued to insist on the matter. They said, no, it's real. It's real, they're saying to this, to this priest, Archibald Wright. Finally, when he couldn't take it any longer, he decided to go to Piraeus, it's a city in Greece, where the girl was, and see for himself what all the fuss was about. So he put on his freshly made, you know, he had his black um, rasa on, really nice, typical of um, Archibald Wright's in the world, and he, with his rosy cheeks, it says here, and he had a nice glow about himself, and he looked impeccable. Um, people that are empty often look at their externals. See, today, women, for example, they're very preoccupied with their looks, with their fashion. It's because they're empty, so they need the externals. Men the same, a lot of times. We, we always look at our outside, but that's an indication of the emptiness inside. Now, some people say, oh, that's very rude of you to say it. It's not rude. It's trying to say it because a lot of these people that are going over now for plastic surgeries, you hear about it, and they're getting every type of operation done on them, breast operations and stomachs and um, uh, liposuctions and cheek implants and breast implants, everything they're getting, and they go, I really feel confident now. I really feel good now. But yes, they feel good for a while, and then after that, the emptiness comes back. Because without God, then a person's never happy. It doesn't matter how beautiful. You can, you can speak to all those movie stars that are really beautiful, all the pop stars that have got fame and they're special and important, plenty of money and everyone loves them and go to their car. They're very unhappy people, and hence why they go on drugs and alcohol, etc., so, externals is not for Christians. St. Paul says, get rid of the externals. Women should not be into the externals with makeup and hair and mm, jewelries and things like that. But be pious Christians so that you can become beautiful from within. And that's why the pagans back in the first centuries, they were so jealous of the Christian women. Because Christian women would not look like the pagan women, because pagan women were into all these things, just like today, into their paint in their faces and do it. But yet, these pagan women would look at a Christian woman and notice that the Christian woman had something about her that was radiant. And that's why a lot of people say, oh, when I go to the monasteries and I go and I see the, um, the nuns, for example, in really good monasteries in Russia and Greece, Serbia, and they said that the, the nuns there that even though they're, some of them are quite old, but they are so beautiful, they radiate. Their eyes, their faces, their whole being is full of joy. A worldly woman can never have that. It doesn't matter how much makeup she wears, she will never have that. So, off he goes. Now, while he was going to meet the girl, the demon that was in the girl was saying to the people around and, and was giving details of him, where he was, exactly where he was. He's now there. He's now catching the train. He's now here. I think we'll stop there and then we will continue on after the break. We'll have a 10-minute break. There's sandwiches and they're labelled. Today we're having fish because of the feast day of St. Eustine Popovich. If you're more ascetical in nature, we've got some bread and lettuce for you. So it's up to 
it's up to you, whatever. Each person's asceticism is up to them. So um, you're welcome to go. Yeah. It's interesting that a lady came up to me during the break and she was telling me a story about a Muslim man who supposedly reads the Quran on people who he says are possessed. And, and uh, a lot of people go to him, including Christians. There's an example of what I'm trying to say of how there is ignorance that people, Christians, maybe even Orthodox, go because our people are ignorant. Also, there was another example somewhere in Sydney of a young Catholic boy that died who they say that the house was given oil and a lot of people going, including Orthodox, to there as well and saying that, that this boy is a saint. So another time, years ago, I remember there was another woman who used to um, help people. I think she was Catholic as well, Lebanese. And um, she used to, she, her body used to give off some oil of some description and people used to go to her for healings and help. What is that showing? It's showing that today people need to know that a lot of these things are dangerous and that in the next few months, with God's help, by reading these lives of saints that I'm going to be reading, I'm reading a part now, but there's more, we will learn about all these things. And if you lead in a spiritual life, you'll understand it better. But as well, some of you people and those who listen to the tapes, whatever you call them, CDs, we have to know that some of you as Orthodox Christians are strict and understand that you don't go to these places. But you might know people who do. So, the more knowledge you have, the more knowledge you have, and you have knowledge of the books which exist, like for example, if someone, if someone comes to, to me and says, oh, you know, something to do with magic and occult, I say, oh, this is a very good book, Confronting the Devil, Magic and the Occult by um, Archimandrite Vasilius Bakuyanis. And I say to him, read that book. You can give him a CD. There's, there's other books there as well. The Life of Saints Kiprian Justina. So you need to know what's available to it. Someone says to you, oh, I'm really into UFOs, you know, and people, you know, and people do this. I even actually knew a young fellow who said to me when he first came to me, many, I was a layperson then, and he said to me that he used to wait in his backyard for a UFO to come and abduct him and take him into space and um, things like that. He, he, and he meant it. And after that, I, I gave him a, a, a tape on UFOs, wiped it off. That was it. He, um, he said that, that that's what he needed. He was enlightened and didn't go that way again. So that is why it's important that you people not only know this material for yourselves, 
for your family, for your friends, for your relatives, for other Orthodox Christians. You need to know, be ready to protect yourself and others. And know what books are in existence. Thank you for the example of the, of the Muslim. Ah, that's important too. The Muslim man says that he has the ability to go to a house and know who's possessed and who's not possessed. The majority of Orthodox priests don't even know that. It's, it's very difficult at times. It's very hard to distinguish, as I said, between schizophrenia, whether it's schizophrenia, whether it's actually... We don't know. Because a person can be mentally ill but have influence of demons as well. And therefore, it's hard to know what's going on. The holy people knew. And that's why a lot of our fathers say it will show what it is when the person starts to lead a spiritual life. The more the person starts leading a spiritual life, the more it will start to be seen. How does the person react in the service? How does the person react with icons? Like there was one person I remember in Melbourne who, who used to go berserk. He used to really become quite, he used to blaspheme, and he used to break every icon in the house. Every icon, he used to smash it and stamp on it and things like that. Now he had a problem, obviously. A lot of these people, they, don't, they can't go near relics of the saints. They find it difficult. There's a, there's a lot of things which begin to develop to see. But it needs an experienced spiritual father. Um, and it's also there's no harm in going to a doctor as well, just in case. A lot of times these people, you give them medication, they don't get better. An elder... Elder... Paisios actually said that he does not think that it's good to read exorcism prayers on people like that because when you read exorcism prayers on a person, you are inviting the demons to attack that person. And he says a lot of times they become worse. And I've said this before, uh, there's someone interstate, I might mention, a woman who's got these problems and I've started mentioning this in the talks, and I said to the husband, stop having the prayers read on her because she is becoming worse. Because one, she doesn't confess much, if at all. She communes all the time, but she doesn't struggle. She doesn't pray. She leads quite a worldly life. And she was being uh, smashed continually. She couldn't even walk. And as soon as he stopped, he listened, which is rare for him, but anyway, he listened, and she became somewhat better. Somewhat better. Well, sorry, no, not somewhat. He said she's become quite a lot better. She wouldn't even leave the house. So Elder Paisio says, don't go and run to monasteries necessarily and have exorcisms done. What you do is lead a spiritual life. And we read last week that when that monk got possessed because of the pride, because he was carrying the three planks out of the one, what did they do? The, the fathers got together and did an unction, a holy oil, an unction. 
You can have a Meleban done. The Parakrishas that we just did tonight. Confession, often. Yes, communion, yes. Opening up. The, a lot of, I've noticed a lot of spiritual fathers say, open up, make sure you get everything out. Elder Paisio says that the reason why the person has a lot of this influence is because there's something in them that they haven't opened up. They need to open up their soul and get everything out. Because he says, he uses the words, because we've given authority to the demons to do this to us. So, don't run and say to the priest, oh, read me exorcisms. And I mentioned last month that I read a few years ago, with the blessing of his eminence, however, no, I, I won't touch them because of what I went through. And that's because, who am I to do them? And I noticed that apart from having my own problems and the person getting attacked and the whole thing was a whole mess, it was far better for the person to start leading a spiritual life, start to confess often, start to lead a, uh, read the Bible and do all these little spiritual things that we do, adds all together and the person starts to get better. This type comes out with prayer and fasting. That means that a priest who is to do exorcisms is a person who is a person, uh, a person of prayer and great fasting. In the world, a lot of the clergy cannot be like that because of distraction, etc. These things are in the monasteries where there's obviously priest monks that are praying and fasting. However, it doesn't mean that if you run to them, you're going to get better. If you don't, change your life. So that's what Father Paisio says. Change your life. Try and find in you what you've done wrong and get it out of you and things like that and pray. Anyway, so let's go on here. The possessed person or the demon within says, mm, my little bird, the frocked Ale Alexandrite, is coming. To make it clear, he's calling the priest the little bird. The demons often say jokes and silly things when they are... Uh, showing themselves in being read, especially when they're being read. They make fun, they say things, they blaspheme, they say everything. However, they also say stupidities. And I remember once that I heard that the priest who was reading a woman was saying to her, you know, you, you cursed one and something like that. And the demon answered back, thank you very much for your politeness. See, so they make fun. You never know. What are they doing? These, these, these things have thousands of years of experience. We can't come along now with no knowledge. Of course, the Holy Fathers have a great knowledge of the spiritual life. They know the tricks of the demons. They know. And if they do read someone exorcisms and they get attacked, they're aware they're aware what's happening to them. They're aware of their thoughts. They're aware of their feelings. They're aware of what's happening to them. While a lot of us in the world, we're not aware of what's happening to us. So we are not in the position to open ourselves up to such warfare. That's why I remember um, a, a bishop in Greece that he said to me, I don't even read them. He said, I, I won't read them. I go, why? He goes, I get my 
priest monks that are in the monasteries to read them. They're under obedience. They're spiritual. They're that. You know, the bishop said that. He won't touch them. He says, because I'll, 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 get, I'll get bowled over too. So that's just to understand that let's not play games. So we go on here. She said, mm, my little bird, the frocked, meaning in the rasa, Alexandrite, meaning from Alexandria where he was from, is coming. Now he is at Ammonia Square, which is somewhere in Athens, buying his ticket for the electric train. Now he's sitting proudly in the first class at Phaleron, another place in Greece, in Athens. There he is, my little bird, getting up from his seat and getting out with people. What does this show us? It means that the demons, because they are spirits, they know what's happening. They know what's happening. So that's why when you hear someone, when you hear someone say, I had a dream, which we'll hear in the, in the next talk as well, I had a dream that uh, my grandfather died in Russia. I had a dream and, they, and the person thinks I've got that, the, that he's got powers. But the demons know because they're spirits. They can go to Russia, they can come back, they can go into a person's dreams and things like that. If we have this understanding, look at this. He knows everything, all the details. So when you go to these mediums who are true mediums, because some of them are, are quacks, they're not real, but some of them are real and they have communion with demons. And when you go there and they say to you, oh, you have three children, you've got this and your wife's name's there, that's how they know. Simple. That's how we know from the lives of saints. These demons are spirits. And that's why people like John Edwards, that famous clairvoyant, whatever he is, he's a medium, and they say, oh, he speaks to dead people. And he guesses a lot of things, or he says a lot of things, which are correct. He says things which are completely no one would know. The person starts crying in the crowd when he does those seances that he does there. And he says, you know, I've got, your, I've got someone and this and that. It's always blurred. And I've said before, why does God allow these mediums to get things right? If they got things wrong, then people would not believe in them. God allows that to happen because... People want that. And as a punishment, he allows that to happen for them to fall into deception. This one of the biggest sins in the Orthodox Church is going to those places. And I say to people a lot of times, if you feel, let's just say someone, some people say, oh, someone's done magic on me because I feel sick or because my business has gone wrong or my kids or I feel I'm going to have a divorce or things. Look, sometimes it may be someone did something. Most of the time it's your own sins. It's most of the times it's our sins which make us have these problems. But let's just say as argument that someone did do something. You don't go to someone else to get it undone. You go to the priest. You go to the church. If you go to the priest, 99% it will go depending on your spiritual life. But when you go to those people to get this, whatever's on you, to take it off you, once you go to those people, as the fathers I've heard in Greece to say, you're tied. You're tied to them. You're vemenos, they say in Greek. It means that you have opened yourself up to them, to, to, to the demonic powers. Those people who later on realise what they've done is wrong and come back to the church and say, oh, what I've done, what I've done, it's very difficult, as we'll see in a couple of talks' time, it's very difficult to undo that. 
A lot of work has to be done. See, if you say someone's done something to you, for example, for say it's, it's real, you go to the church, it comes off pretty quickly. You go to them, then come back to the church, there's a lot of work. And I'll tell you another little secret, it's quite um, horrible to say. Uh, a lot of times, it doesn't completely go away. People that have gone will always have some influence. There's an example of a father of Manathos. When he was worldly, he went to some of these people. He got involved in magic and stuff like that. And then later on he repented and he went to Manathos. He became a monk. After many years, because of his virtue, he became a priest. They made him a priest. Manathos is very strict. They don't make priests easily. If they've got certain obstructions, they don't make them. But this one they felt he could become. So they made him a priest. And what would happen was that this priest, who as a worldly person when he was in the world went to these magicians and things like that, he had problems. He had demonic influence. A lot of times there was something on him. He felt that, and the Holy Fathers there, Manasseh said, this is a remnant, this is a little trace that's been left on him because he once went there. Just think of it. He went to Manaphos under obedience in the, one of the holiest places in, on, all the, on, on all earth. He led a spiritual life. He was surrounded by holy people in a monastery. He was found worthy to become a priest. And as I said, they don't make priests very easily. So he obviously was quite spiritual. But yet, but yet, right to the end of his life, he always had that influence on him. So, it is important never, ever to run to those places. And people might say, well, why are you talking about that? We're orthodox. We don't go to those places. All the time I hear people going to those places. It's like nothing, even astrology. People just read the stars in the newspapers as if it's nothing. Those things are against the church's canons. We must never read those things. It is blasphemy to believe that our lives are determined by where Pluto and Jupiter and things like that, all those things are. Like this full moon. Oh, they had in this, I don't know, for 60 minutes or current affairs, one of those. I don't know if some of you saw it. They had a whole thing there about the... After I said it, and the week after that I said it, I think it was last month or whatever it was, the, uh, one week later it was on the television. And they were saying that they're scientifically proven now with science that there is truth to when there's a full moon, people go crazy and they said that the hospitals are full, there's a lot of fights, a lot of people get hurt. Even the ER people, the emergency people, they actually say at, at the hospital, they go, oh, when it's a full moon, we know that it's going to be packed. It's going to be packed tonight. And it's going to be really, really bad. And then they were saying in this, in this particular uh, article, they were saying it's showing that there must be truth to when there's a full moon that people go crazy. But the church fathers explain all that to us. Lunatic, that's what it means. Lunatic means from the moon. Lunatic, the people go crazy on the full moon. But we have the Holy Fathers which explain that. The demons want us to believe that our lives are governed by the stars, by moons, by sun, by Jupiter or Pluto or whatever. 
They want us to believe that. Therefore, when it's a full moon, they do their work. They do their work. They make people crazy. They make people do all these things on purpose so that we can believe that that's that. Slowly, slowly to get away that God is the ruler of our life and to believe that the moon determines our moods and that if you're a Sagittarius that you're going to have this and if you're a Pisces that that's going to happen. All that is all stuff that Christ came to earth to destroy, that Christ came to earth to destroy the works of the devil. That's the works of the devil. I hope you understand. When I'm speaking harshly, you might say, oh, look, he's speaking harshly. Or do you want me to stand on with a lot, with, with uh, like those, um, what do you call those things, um, uh, holding some fairy floss or something and saying that, oh, don't go to those places, it's not nice. <laughs> some of you have misunderstood. When you see a person going towards a cliff, say there's a cliff over there, and you see someone walking towards it, and I'm over here, and the person's going to fall, you don't say, look out. Look out. <laughs> Who's going to hear me? Look out. If there's a plane going past at the same time, forget it. <laughs> what do we say? We say, watch out. That's the same as the priest. At times, the priests need to speak up to show that there's something wrong. There's sometimes the priest speaks soft and sometimes the priest speaks gentle and sometimes the priest speaks uh, strictly. But some of you people think, no, the priest should only speak like that, on the same level. At a level where we don't listen to, that way we don't be uncomfortable with what we're hearing. Actually, you know, people have said to me, oh, when the priest does sermons in the church, it's so soft, can't even hear, which is better for us, we don't hear anything. <laughs> we, don't, we don't hear. <sighs> so, let's go on now to the Archimandrite, now coming, and he's buying his ticket, and he's on his way now to see the possessed person, which he says it's not real because demons don't exist, in his opinion, a worldly priest. It says, look at him, he's calling a cab to get to the square. Oh, what fun I will have. I will take care of him very well, the demon's saying. Katerina's family was by now quite aware of the demon's foreseen power. Foreseen meaning that the demons could see what's happening and, and they knew that something was going to happen because they had been living with this girl for quite a few years. And therefore realised that they were about to be visited by him. They believed that someone was going to come. When the Archimandrite arrived... They were glad to greet a man of the cloth, meaning they were glad to meet a, a man who was a priest, and led him to where they had the girl confined. When Katerina first saw him, she was happy and then calmly and quietly stared at him. Then she started laughing and it was only a short matter of time before she started to make fun of him. Some people here went to St. Erasmus years ago in Greece. And St. Erasmus is famous for, for people that are possessed to go there. I've been there a number of times and there's quite a few of them there. And they take, when they do the litania, where they take the coffin out with the saint's relics, because he's incorrupt, his body's completely incorrupt. He didn't decompose. And they take him through the streets 
and a lot of the sick people possessed but also sick people lie down and the coffin passes over them they all lie down in line and the coffin passes over anyway so during the service the abbess was there very spiritual woman and there was a possessed girl there and she went up to the the abbess during the service and she had boots on and she kicked the abbess with all her might in her shins which is very painful and the abbess remained unmoved just sat there and prayed because of because obviously as a monastic as an abbess she was experienced and plus they know she knows from there so sometimes they can be quite dangerous what i've noticed when i've seen some not that i went to see them but i've seen some um, when i was in jerusalem one woman when she went to the whole um, some holy place and as soon as she went to venerate she just went um, berserk and she fell on the ground and what i was amazed with that she fell on the ground she fell back with such force and she was she became quite rigid but yet she didn't get hurt just i just couldn't believe that that how she cracked her head and there was no pain i don't know what's how god protects them the demon has power to destroy the whole world in the blink of an eye if it wasn't for god that holds them back he only can do up to what god allows him to do don't say oh they're going to do this they're going to do that god allows them him to do what he does for purposes to make people come back to the church when people come to me and say oh they've my child's got something wrong with her whatever and i say look don't be devastated sometimes people have come back to the church because of these influences in their family how many people have come back to the church because of that so Let's see what she's going to do to the priest. My dear priest, how beautiful and playful you seem. The priest examined her and he felt no compassion or pity for her. He was sure of the infallibility of his explanation for her behavior. In other words, he was sure that he was correct, that she's a schizophrenic, that she's not uh, possessed because those things don't exist. She appears fully well to me, he whispered to himself. Suddenly, the girl went close to him and calmly extended her arm to his chest and took a watch out of the frocks of, the, of his rasa, their hidden pocket. Be mindful, father, said the girl's mother, having been watching from afar, she will break it on you. How can, that, how can she break it? Uh, he asked somewhat sarcastically. You know, how can she break steel? Because it was made out of steel. Before the priest had even finished his sentence, a, a crack was heard and the watch was broken into four pieces. The priest was shaken and then the girl's hands surrounded his neck, clutching on the chain of the gold cross he was wearing. She started saying terrible and shameful things. So she had started to attack him. And listen to what he said. You dirty, filthy worm. Isn't it you that hasn't left a girl or woman in Alexandria untouched. You dare to insist that I do not exist, then I will make an account of all the good works you have done as a mocker, good works sarcastically, of a mocker of sacred things. Didn't you do this on this date? So in other words, the demon in the girl was starting to expose all his sins that he was doing 
unconfessed sins, because he can only say unconfessed sins, and what was even worse, that he was such an unbeliever that he was even falling with women. And he, and she was exposed, and he, meaning the demon, was exposing it. The demon went on and on. The archmandrite could not take it, for all the details and stories were true. It is, and this is true, that these people, when they have been in churches, in, I know this for a fact in Greece, and I'm sure in Russia, when they become possessed, they do expose people in the church a lot of times. They say, and you did this. As I said, sometimes they lie, but a lot of times people run out. They go, you cheated on your wife, and you did an abortion, and you did this, and you did that, and you did this. So they do have this ability to say sins that are unconfessed. And that makes sense when, when the Holy Father say when a person dies or when the person is dying, the demons come to the person's bed and start to denounce and say, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. And we've actually got accounts of holy men who were dying and, and people couldn't see the demons there. People didn't see it. But they heard the holy man goes, I've confessed that. No, I didn't do that. Yes, but I, I, I showed fruits of repentance for that. And then sometimes when the demon would say, obviously something, that the, that the, um, that the father would say, uh, he would become like scared and shocked that there was some things that he hadn't confessed yet. These are all written in the lives of saints, in the writings of the saints. And what does it show? That they know our sins that we have not confessed. Oh, sometimes they even said to the um, to people that are dying, um, oh, and you did this, this and this, things that they hadn't even done. Again, showing that in the churches when they become like that, they actually point out and sometimes lie about people to make people fight. They might say to a, a man, your wife went with such and such when she didn't. So he'll mix truths and lies. And that's, anyway, here... She was saying the he was saying the truth. He fell to the ground, and the girl's parents ran to call for help. He said that the, the, the archimandrite couldn't take the details and stories that were true. He fell to the ground, and the girl's parents ran to call for help. The archimandrite had to be carried away, so much for his theory of schizophrenia. And all the while, the many stories continued to be recited by the demon and every so often she grunted like a wild animal. That's possessed people do that. They froth, they vomit, they grunt, they make noises, they, all those type of things. In 1919, a while after the incident, that particular incident, Katerina went to Egina and um, she was made a rasa for none. Now, I'm quite confused with this myself, to be truthful, because, you know, usually you don't make people that have got such problems. But for some reason, divine prayers, there's exceptions. This is an exception. They actually made her into a rasa for none, which is the first level of monasticism. She visited with Nectarius, with Saint Nectarius, who was still alive and who also read prayers of exorcism over her. It seemed as if the demon had left her. But in reality... 
we come back to what I said to you earlier, he was just sleeping for as soon as everyone started rejoicing, he reappeared and was just as treacherous as before. What I was saying to you before was that with this Muslim man, that people can say, oh, he made my son better. The demon's up. No, the demon pretends that he's come out. The demon can pretend that he's burning and say to, to someone who's deceived, oh, your prayers, they're, just, they're really burning me. I cannot stand it anymore. I will leave. But they're not leaving. It's all tricks. We don't have the experience to know these things. And when I read St. John of the Ladder, Oh, the tricks that he, he exposes there, what he talks about. One of them he says, which I was shocked, he said, um, when a person, uh, when a, he's talking about monks, but as a metaphor, he goes, when a monastic eats a lot, falls into gluttony, the demons make him to have tears. Tears, so that, so that, the, so that the monk can say, oh, I can still repent, even, if, even though I've eaten a lot. And St. John, John of the Ladder says that he's doing that to make the person to keep on eating and not to fast and not to enter. So in other words, the demons can even bring tears. He can turn the tears on, he can turn the tears off. Just to make the person proud. Another part, St. John of the Ladder says, a person can have, say, a sexual passion. He can turn it off. He can turn it on. In other words, he can make a person to have problems. He can make the person to have no problems. And what does he say? He says, just like a fox sits quietly and doesn't move so as to catch birds, that's the same as the demon cannot move in a person so as to catch souls. So he can make the person believe that they're pure. Once the person gets, starts getting proud and goes, oh, look, I'm so good now, I, I have tears, I, um, I don't have passions, I don't have hate for anyone, I have this, I have that. Once he gets them up, then he smashes them down to the ground. So how are we to know all these things? That's what I'm trying to say, that it's not like a lot of us think. The spiritual life is deep. It's what the Holy Fathers call the science of sciences. Science, whether astrophysics or chemistry, all these scientists... They've got a certain knowledge, yeah, that could be really great and professors and PhDs, but that's there. But spiritual life is the highest thing. It's called the science of sciences. And as you can see, and as I said last time, I asked some of you people, are you getting confused with what I said last talk? And some of you were saying, yes, you're confused or, or di disturbed, because it was like, oh, how, how are we to know? And today I ask you the same question. Are some of you becoming disturbed and saying, well, how are we to know? We're only ordinary people. Do some of you think like that? Like, if you, as you can see, there's this trick and that trick and that trick and that trick. How are we to know? Do you feel a bit disturbed? Well, if you do, that's good. That's what I want. I want you to leave here today and say, how are we supposed to know what to do? If I, if I get you to that stage... I would say glory to God because it's showing now that you are understanding that spiritual life is difficult. And then the rest will come. But at least get to that stage. And so she was made a rasa for none. She visited with St. Nectarius, who was alive. He read prayers and the demon <coughs> seemed to have left her. 
but in reality he was just sleeping for as soon as, as everyone started rejoicing he reappeared and was just as treacherous it was finally after a wholehearted all-night supplication to god asking that he show pity on katarina by either freeing her or taking her to so that the poor family would suffer no more they even prayed perhaps it's better for her to die so she can that, that she can be at rest and her family doesn't suffer she said something strange but at the time not understandable the demon said it is in vain that you cover me with monastic frocks and carry me from one church to another see what elder Paiso said He's going to church to church what you do is nothing i am stronger and nobody can shake me except one the one with nails the demon is saying you can dress her in monastic you can make her a monastic you can take her to church to church and monastery to monastery but i'm strong and only one can actually get me out of her the one with nails the one with nails what's this about let's have a look silence and awe spread through the people who were around who can this one with nails possibly be who can she mean her friends wondered mm, this is mysterious Look, who is this one with nails after nectarius saint nectarius passed away and his miracles started to become known especially those in which demons were exercised so saint nectarius became known for his power against demons for the for the possessed and also for cancer as one of the, and another thing which is um very famous for um yet another attempt to liberate katerina was made five male and eight female relatives set out to bring katerina to the nectarius's resting place it took all their strength to carry her up the mountain to the monastery how many of you been to saint nectarius's monastery in greece many hmm. Well, maybe one day you'll be blessed to go. It's in not very far from Athens. Little boat, hydrofoil over to Aegina, up to the mountain to his um, to his monastery. They've still got the original chapel that he used to serve in, but now they've built a great, great big church. He's a, a, he's a great saint. Persecuted too. One day we have to do his life. He was persecuted. He was a bishop in. Uh, in Alexandria in Egypt and because of slanders the patriarch just said to him I don't want you here anymore here's a paper get out goodbye and after that from then on he could never get a position as a bishop again and he started doing some sermons in Evia which is where my mother's from and then he got a job as the principal of an ecclesiastical boys school that's it that's what he had and after that when he got older he went to the monastery in Aegina with the nuns that that were under him and that's where uh, then he, he got prostate cancer and he went to um he didn't want to go but the nuns made him go to a hospital in Athens so he went there he passed away passed away and the first miracle that occurred was someone in the next bed that some clothing of, of the saint was put on his bed and he got better and then later on when they put him into the coffin to take him back to Aegina the, the the coffin became full of myrrh it was flowing with myrrh like all from his face was that beautiful fragrant myrrh showing his saintliness so the, so the one who was persecuted the one who was a nothing supposedly to a lot of the 
the bishops and the priests in those times, a lot, a lot didn't like him. They thought he was fanatical, he was backward, he was ancient, he was stupid. Uh, they were very bad persecution. When he went to Evia to do preaching, they slandered him there. And they said, oh, he's really dirty, he's a dirty person, and he goes with women, this and that. So when he was doing the preaching in the churches, the people were shouting out to him and go, you filthy person, get out of here, we don't want you, and things like that. What he went through. But he's a saint. He didn't leave the church like some today. He stayed in the church, and he became one of the greatest saints in the 20th century. Then he so they carried, carried her up there, and a few times they barely managed to keep her from falling down the cliff and killing herself. The one with nails, she cried, when they brought her to Nectarius's grave. The one with nails, oh my, oh my b bad fortune, he's even greater than Capsanius of Kefalonia. For you see, Nectarius was a bishop. The one with nails was him, because his relics, that his... I think what happens is the body shrinks a little bit and then the nails the nails when the when the when the body shrinks a little bit the nails look longer but anyway but anyway his nails were long so what the demon was referring to is the one with nails he was referring to saint nectarius he's the only one who can get me out of her and he's greater than capsanges Kaps, is what he's called of kephalonia meaning saint Gerasimus. St. Yeraspus has a lot of power over the demons, but he was a priest monk. Actually, my father comes from the island which is right next to Kefalonia, Ithaca. So in my lay name, that was my name that I was given. Um, so, I, so he actually is on Kefalonia. He was an ascetic there. He had a cave where you walk down some steps and it's deep into the ground. That's where he used to go to be on his own and pray. He was a great ascetic. But the demon is confessing, with God's permission, that Capsanius is great, in other words, St. Erasmus is great, but not like St. Nectarius, because St. Nectarius was also a bishop. The next day after the liturgy, and after Katerina was anointed with holy oil from the grave in the sign of the cross, she fell down and had convulsions that included frothing of the mouth. Then she became so pale she looked dead. And half an hour later, though she opened her eyes and whispered, uh, where am I, my God, I am freed, she finally became freed. It was later understood that the demon was referring to Nectarius as the one with nails because since his body had not yet deteriorated, the nails on his fingers had grown quite long. In the spring of 1926, Katerina asked to be a nun in the monastery of Eyna, which is there's a nun's monastery there, because he started the monastery. Um, he retired there and there she devoted herself entirely to God she eventually went on to become a venerable nun she even became a schema nun which is the highest monastic tonsure she constantly studied the holy scriptures and her deep devotion became legendary she worked as a secretary and recorder of the convent as well and she and did so until her dying day in September of 1968 so she died then. She must have been pretty old. Her clear and beautiful handwriting can be seen today in the books of minutes at the monastery in Agina. Her, she was obviously, when they used to have meetings, the nuns, she used to write the minutes down. And she, um, and her, and they said that her writing still exists. So that's the life, that comes from the life of Saint Nectarius. 
to me, just by reading that little page which I read to you today, we learned so much. We learned about the demons' tricks, we learned about what to do, about the saints, the power that they've got. I remember once I went to um, Mount Athos and I was speaking to an abbot and I said to him, this is my younger years, I said to him, I'm, I'm, um, I think I said to him, oh, I'm scared of the demon, something like that I said to him. And he said to me, the demon, he said in Greek, the demon is a vlaka. And that means in Greek, the demon is an idiot. The demon's only a blind tool of God. He's an intelligence, yes, but the, a Christian, an Orthodox Christian, is not allowed to be scared of him. We are to fear God, not him. That's what he wants. He wants us to fear him. and think, No, we fear God. We have the fear of God. Fear meaning that we don't want to offend God by our sins. We worship God. Any questions up to now on that part? Yes? I understood what you meant about um, demons being able to see like in different parts of the world because they can be troubled. Um, what about with the past? I mean, if you've got a person that is tracking or something, you could tell the past, but can they just grab a person and then sort of see what's happened to them without sort of being tracked? Demons know, um, with God's permission, they, they do know the past of people because they're demons, they're spirits. They've been around for centuries. They know. And remember as well that as, as the Holy Fathers say, when we're baptised, we, we are given a guardian angel, but also there's also demons that, that accompany us and they try and make us to sin or try and make us go away from the church. So they know our past. They know our present. They can guess our future, but that's about it, but they don't know properly the future. And I forgot to mention before I was talking about something. But now you reminded me of something, but I've slipped. It slipped my mind now. Um, oh, I said before. When these mediums, like that John Edwards and others, when they do their their um, seances, whatever you call them, their readings, as they, I think they call readings, he doesn't get everything right. He gets he gets things wrong. And why? Because God does not allow him fully to deceive people. Because a lot of people don't have the orthodox tradition like we have. They don't have the fullness of orthodoxy to know all these tricks. There are people that are ignorant. People that go to these places truly are ignorant, a lot of them. They don't know. And so, as I've said in other talks, that God allows him to make mistakes. So someone who's got some, as they say in Greek, like some brain can actually see, oh, look, you got that wrong, you got that wrong, you got that wrong. Yeah, but he got some right, but he got some wrong. So, you know, a lot of times he can't even guess properly the name of the person who's dead. Sometimes he gets it right. Sometimes he says, oh, it starts with an M. Well, if the, you know, because God does not give the demon full access to him to say whatever because then he would deceive so many people who are ignorant good people but people who are ignorant of what's going on in the world they don't know that they're not even christians a lot of people 
So God still takes care and still tries to help everyone as long as they've got a good heart to look and see the truth, to see, oh, look, this is, this is, he got that wrong, he got that wrong, he doesn't even know the person's name properly, he needs a letter. You know, that's why it, it, it happens. However, the more a person goes against God's commandments, especially Orthodox Christians, if we go to those places, then our deception is much more intense and really powerful. Then God allows those demons to open up more, to actually, to actually open up more so that we can believe those things. And as it says, St. Paul says, because we had itchy ears, we wanted to hear all this rubbish. So God says, you wanted to hear it? Then, let you, then you can be deceived. And by being deceived, hopefully to come out of it in repentance. Anyway, let's go on to another little story. Uh, again, the contemporary selects of Manathos. St. Savas, the, he's a, he was a confessor, spiritual father, and he died in 1909. But he was one of the great fathers. Oh, Manathos has so many holy uh, fathers. It says, among the spiritual children of Father Savas, remember that Father Savas, I think if I remember right, was from a skeet. St. Anne's Skeet, little St. Anne's Skeet. A skeet in Manathos is like a village. It's like it's got all little houses. It's got a main church in the middle. Each house has little chapels in it. So there's a Yerunda, like a Staritz, like an elder. He has then he might have a, he might have disciples. He might have one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever. So each house has that. And they serve liturgy every day. And they live the monastic life under the obedience of the elder. On feast days and Sundays, they don't serve in their, in their um, little houses. They go to the main church. And that's the life of the skeet. And the skeet has certain spiritual fathers. And one of the spiritual fathers was Father Savas. Now, he had a, a, a deacon who was his spiritual child. He was a Romanian deacon. Remember in, in, in Manaphos they've got Russians, Romanians, Bulgarians, Greeks, etc. So he was still young and he lived in silence in the desert around little St. Anne's Skeet. St. Anne meaning the mother of the mother of God. They've named the Skeet after her. But he was young, but he lived in silence, which is, you know, unusually inexperienced don't live in silence because it's dangerous. They're not experienced enough. My father said the deacon to Father Savas one day. He says, my father, you get called. Uh, very sorrowfully, I beg you, do not forget to commemorate my mother during liturgy tomorrow. She died three days ago. So the deacon said to Father Savas, can you pray for, pray for my mother? She died three days ago. Remember, in Mount Athos in those days, those skeets, they had no phones. To Father Savas's mind, these words seemed to indicate a victory of the devil. Straight away from his understanding of spiritual life, he knew this, this deacon, this Romanian deacon, had fallen into deception. The discerning elder was troubled. Here he thought the enemy is doing something ugly. The cunning one, he stops at nothing to deceive and darken God's creation, said the elder. Like the demons have one thing, to, to make God's creation darkened with deceptions and sins, etc. That's his aim, especially monks and nuns. Without showing his concern, uh, I just want to explain to you that 
when the devil and his angels fell from heaven, as you know, there was a revolt in heaven, and Lucifer, who was one of the highest angels, revolted against God, and some of the um, other angels followed him, and they fell away from heaven. And they became enemies of God. They wouldn't repent, which is really horrible. And they hate God's creation, especially the monastics, because the monastics, what they were, because they've got the schema, which is called the angelic schema. That they replace him and his angels. In other words, the monastics take the place of where they used to be. And he doesn't like that. He has a lot of hate towards monastics out of his envy and jealousy and, and, and his malice that he's got, that he can't stand the fact that monastics take the place that he used to once have in heaven. And that's why he, he fights monastics. Without showing his concern, he tried to probe into the matter a bit further. He didn't say oh, straight away. He, he stayed cool, as one would say in, in the everyday land. Stayed calm and because he, st he, he didn't want to disturb the deacon and make him lose himself. So he calmly said to him, tell me about this, my child. Tomorrow is the third day after your mother's repose. That means she died, she died the day before yesterday. And she died in Romania. How could you learn about her death two days ago? How, how do you know that? And there was little silence. How, how did I learn? The deacon began to say kind of a bit timidly. Well, he, he told me. And Father Saba says, who told you? And the deacon says, my guardian angel told me. Father Saba says, your guardian angel, you saw your angel, did you? I have been granted, said the deacon, to see him, not just once or twice, but I've seen him uh, not just once or two times, but a lot. It has been for two years now. He appears to me and joins me in prayer. We sing the Akathis together and make prostrations and we have spiritual conversations. So this is quite a, I don't know, is it a delusion? Or is it, a, is it real? How many of you see your guardian angels when you pray and, and talk together and things like that? We have to have a relationship with our guardian angel. We have to pray every morning and every night to our guardian angel and form a relationship with our guardian angel. Our guardian angel helps us in our life. That's why there are specific prayers in the prayer book for the morning prayers and the night prayers to the, to the guardian angel. And we also have little icons which children can read, you know, a little prayer to their guardian angel. And as Orthodox Christians, unfortunately, people don't have a relationship with their guardian angel. And that's important. But I'm not telling you to have this type of relationship because I think this one's maybe a little bit overdone. So this person's relationship is that they pray together, do prostrations together, and akathis, they even do akathis, and they have spiritual conversations. This grieved Father Savas very much. Two years of demonic deception are no light matter. This person has been in communion with this demonic thing for two years. 
to allow the enemy to work undisturbed for your destruction for two years is indeed grievous, says the person that's, that's writing this account. Like, this is very serious. And why, my child, did you not tell me anything all this time? Why didn't you tell me? I mean, as a spiritual child, he should have been opening up to his spiritual father and tell him everything. As we as Orthodox Christians should open up and tell our spiritual fathers everything. The angel told me it wasn't necessary. Father Savas understood that he had a great struggle on his hands. He knew that now to get rid of this demon from this person is going to be a lot of work. First, he had to persuade the, the poor deacon that it was not an angel that was appearing to him and then he had to be prepared to face the rage of the demon. Look at this. When a person's deceived, it's very hard to tell them. I've, I've encountered people who see things and smell things and I don't know, whatever. And when you, sometimes it's very difficult because when they're telling you the story, their eyes become open like, really open and they become very intense. And it's like if you try and say that what they're seeing is, is not right, they, I'm, actually sometimes I get scared they're going to attack, they're, they're attack me. They go on and I saw this dream and I saw this dream and I saw this and I saw that and this and they're very, very intense. And they're not even asking me whether it's right or wrong. They're just telling me that's what it is and that's what they do to a lot of priests with their eyes wide open because they're in, they're in like full deception. And for them, you sit there, sit there, yeah, yeah, and pray for them. If they ask me, I'll tell them. If I can sneak a little bit in and say, hmm, oh yeah, but the, the saints of the church always say not to believe in dreams. And then I watch the eyes, like I used to do at school when I used to teach. You go to a student, you watch them. And when you, some of them, they're, not, they're mentally not well. So always watch the signs. As you're reprimanding someone, you watch them. If they start clenching, they start, their faces go funny, you move back. Because they could swing at you, they could, they, they could hit you. Or you see them, in a, in a, not on their own, not in classrooms, next to staff rooms. That's a, same with these people got to watch out you've got to be very careful because they can attack you i remember once i was on an island in greece and there was a a monk a monk who out of his deception he went and lived on a mountain by himself so he lived by himself up up there high he thought he was an ascetic and he was into visions and dreams, like just because every, everything that came out of his mouth was a vision and clairvoyance, and, and he knew who stole his oil and who's coming and who's this. and who, He was like thing, and he wouldn't listen to the abbot. He wouldn't listen to his spiritual father. He had completely lost himself. But before that, I remember I was a lay person then. He said something to me, and then I been, thought I was a bit smart, and I said something to him to expose something. I don't know what I said, like an idiot that I was. And he attacked me. He went for me. So I remember going once with the abbot there and he had a big, he, had a, he made a fence. He wouldn't open up the gate. 
So this is, this is, these things are real. He wouldn't open up the gate to the abbot. He goes, no, no, I'm sick. I can't have you come and this and that. So he lost himself. And what happened at the end? He threw away his monasticism. He stopped being a monk, even though he was a schemer. He stopped being a monk. And he started to gallivant around the city with a handbag and things like that. So he had, be, he had fallen completely even in, in his morals. He had lost himself completely and God allowed him to fall away and to fall into big sins. So you can work out handbags and things like that, what happened to him. So these things are true. And that's not just for them, it's for people living in the world. Don't think that these are, oh, these are only for monks. A lot of people in the world become deceived because they don't go to their spiritual father, they don't confess properly, they don't open up, they believe that, that they know best, and they fall into deception. The demons are there setting up all these things, whether it's little noises or smells or this or whatever, and which we'll see as time goes on. And people become deceived. And what happens to those people if they don't repent? then God allows the temptation to go worse and worse and worse and worse so that a lot of them actually become mentally ill and they fall away from the church, a lot of them. I've encountered so many of those people. I'm not reading you these because you're going to become monks or nuns or things like that. I'm reading it because we learn from this. And a lot of those people come pray later. They can't pray, they can't fast, they can't read spiritual books later if they fall into deception. They become quite ill because of their self-trust. If we detect in ourselves self-trust, that we trust our opinion, that we are always correct, etc., 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 then we are, as we said in the last talk, some of you weren't here, talk number 32, that that is the, pre, like, you, you know, when you go to university, you have to have prerequisites to study chemistry. You need to have got chemistry. It's called a prerequisite, that you have to have this knowledge to do that. Well, for the demons, they need prerequisites for, for them to deceive us. And the prerequisites are pride, vainglory, self-esteem, self-trust, etc. They're the prerequisites. If he has them, then deception is for, for sure to follow. The angel told me it wasn't necessary. And so Father Savas knew. And that part there where he says that Father Savas knew that he had to face the rage of the demons. And that happens for priests, as I was saying before. Priests are continually battling for the souls of his flock. Battling. A priest struggles with the demons for the soul of people. And when someone has, is in the hands, has fallen into uh, demonic temptations and the priest tries to help, he will be attacked. And that's why the priest needs to be ready, spiritually. And some of you think, oh, it's so easy to be a priest and they, oh, they kiss their hands and they have respect and this. That's not how it is. A conscious priest 
faces the rage of the demons. Thoughts, passions, anger. Sometimes I remember once someone said to me, oh, we went to a Greek, a Greek monastery in Greece and there was a priest and he was, during the service he was angry. And I said, okay, he was angry, was he? Yes. I said, tell me about his services. Oh, he had beautiful services. He was so, he was concentrating, he was really praying, and, and, but he at times would have this anger. I go, that's why he had the anger. The anger came because the demons would attack him during the service. St. John of Cronstadt would say, he goes, St. John of Cronstadt said when he would do the services, he said what he would see, the pictures that he would see in his mind, the temptations that he would go through. So don't have this judging of priests and things like that. It's not what you think. And those of you who think that, oh, I'd like to become a priest. Well, listen and learn. So then Father Sava says, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy and save us. He prayed secretly and fervently. He knew how to pray, obviously. My child, are you sure it was an angel that appeared to you? I'm absolutely sure, Elder. Really, we pray together and make thousands of prostrations every day, the deacon said. Thousands of prostrations. How many of you can do thousands of prostrations? I, I can't. We talk about the future life in paradise. See, spiritual things. The angel talks to me about the future life, about paradise. He's my guardian angel. The deacon seemed set in his belief. Like I said, the eyes open. That means that the, like Rasputin. Rasputin had big eyes, if you know. And, um, and there's a lot of controversy about Rasputin because St. John of Cronstadt says his repentance was true and St. Theophan the recluse said he was deceived. What's, I've, I've explained this years ago. What does that mean? How can St. John of Cronstadt say his repentance was true and then St. Theophan the Recluse, I think... No, not St. Theophan the Recluse. St. Theophan, Father, Hierarcha, Radica, Theophan of Poltova. Is that how you say Poltova? He was like a spiritual father of the time of the Zahn and things like that, yes. Uh, he was one of... Um, he later on became one of our bishops of the Church Abroad later on, here when, when he escaped from Russia. Uh, he was a spiritual father, I think, of the palace there. Anyway, he was against Rasputin. St. John of Cronstadt lived, I think he died in 19... What was it? Who knows? Four, 14? St. John of Cronstadt. 19... 1914. And then this thing with Rasputin happened before the revolution. They're both correct. St. John of Cronstadt's correct. And the Archbishop was correct, the, the, the spiritual father of the, um, the royal palace there. Does that make sense? Does it sound like something's wrong? They're both correct. How can they be both correct? One saint says he was deceived, one saint says his repentance was true. That's what happens in the Bible. When, when we read the Bible, you know, we see things that seem contradictory. Like uh, I remember once uh, a teacher at school where I was teaching at, he actually said, Oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. And he was telling people the contradictions. Oh, me and uh, my father and I would often read the Bible and find all the contradictions, he would say to the other teachers there. And I was, 
I didn't say anything. And he says, for example, um, when, when Christ appears, he said to the women, um, don't touch me, I have not ascended to my Father in heaven. And then he says to St. Thomas, touch me and feel that I am flesh and, and things like that. And then he was trying to say that that's a con- contradiction, contradiction in his, on, in his head. But the Holy Fathers have explanations for all of these things. St. Mary Magdalene, I think if you said it to her, she, had, she was looking at him as a human still. She couldn't understand that he was not just human, but that he was God and man. And he, don't touch me. To te- There's all these contradictions. But when we read the Holy Fathers, we read and we see that there are no contradictions. To explain the Rasputin thing is that Rasputin did repent in the beginning. He had true repentance. He was a person who was quite, led, led quite a filthy life and he was a drunk, etc. He used to go out with women and all that. But then he repented. So his repentance was correct. But later on, like what happens to a lot of us, when we start living a spiritual life, because of his pride, he began to think that he had powers. And the demons were working and he started to get proud and proud and proud and proud and proud and then later on he became deceived. So yes, repentant in the beginning, deceived later on. That's, not the contra- that's what I'm trying to say. So when we read things, be careful to understand. And he had big eyes. And those big eyes to me, not that there are people that have naturally big eyes, but his eyes were not naturally big eyes. His eyes was from his deception. So, the demon seemed set in his belief. So the elder, he couldn't just say straight out to him, you're deceived. It was just too harsh. See the discernment? Which is what I said before. Before I even read this, as a priest, with God's help, I just understood. You can't say to a person, you're deceived. Because you can cause damage. We have to be careful. St. John of Cronstein says, when you try to help someone, your passions get mixed up and you make a mess of things. He himself said that. And he said, sometimes it's better just to pray for someone. And that's true. There's been times where I've tried to help someone and my passions got involved. I got irritated or angry and you know, I can even tell the person off. That did damage. And sometimes I can't speak to someone. So sometimes it's just better just to pray for the person, commemorate them at the liturgy, etc., and then slowly, slowly try and speak to them. Anyway, that's what Elder Savas did. He did not give him the um, fire and brimstone type of thing and say, oh, you're possessed, you're, you've got demons, and demons have tricked you and things like that. However, he also had confidence in his God-enlightened elder, and this made him think uh, again. He still had some trust in his elder even though he was deceived there was a little there was a little uh little spot of faith there still which is what is necessary it's when we've gone far off is where not even god can help us but this was this person obviously fell out of ignorance the deacon thought to himself but if this is a demon how then was he telling me to pray 
How was he encouraging me to pray? So the deacon was getting confused. The devil fights those who pray, the deacon was saying. So this is where we need spiritual discernment because remember when the demons tempted Christ on the mount there, they would quote from the Bible. You know, throw yourself down or turn this bread in. He was, he was using all quotes from the Old Testament. The demons know the Bible. St. John of the Ladder, as I read two months ago, he actually has an, a part there where he says that in the beginning, to those who are new, the demons can actually help someone to understand the Bible and teach. But it's them. See? How much we learn that the demons can help someone understand the Bible. And then St. John says, once he's got them into pride, he says the ones that he usually can do this to are those who are intellectual, those that have got secular studies behind them, they tend to fall into that pride. And the ones who have vainglory, they're the ones that usually fall into this type of pride where they think that they are being inspired by uh, God, but they're being inspired by him. So what he says is, once he, then he lifts them up to make them prouder and prouder that they, are, that they can understand the Bible and interpret it. He then smashes them down by making them into heretics, schismatics, etc. St. John says that, St. John of the Ladder, whose icon we have here in the front. There's another thing that we learned today. So this person was starting to have doubts now. He was starting to get confused and go, if this is a devil, then how am I praying with him? Devils don't pray. Devils can't say prayers. They can't say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. They can't say that. It burns them. Finally, they agreed to test the guardian angel. As soon as he, as soon as he comes to you again, said Father Savas, Ask him to say the Theotokos virgin rejoice and make the sign of the cross. The choir today while you were venerating sang O Theotokos and virgin rejoice. It goes like this. O Theotokos and virgin rejoice, O Mary full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb for thou was born the saviour of our souls. That is such a powerful hymn. It speaks about the incarnation of God, that God chose Mary to become his mother. He chose her so that he can come into the world as man. That's what the Orthodox faith is about. And he became a man so that we can be saved. The demons can't say that. And also the demons cannot make the sign of the cross because it burns them. And the demons can't make the cross appear. They can't make the cross appear in our dreams. They can't make the cross appear to us, whatever, because they're scared of the cross. But here we have a problem. What's the problem? The problem is that he's saying, the, the, de the deacon is saying, that this guardian angel was praying with him, was saying the words with him. 
So how can he be saying the words with him if I just said now, which is what the father saying, Vasanufius the Great, and so many of our holy fathers, they say, the demons cannot repeat the words of prayer. Nor can they do the cross. But these people did prostrations. And in Mount Athos, when you do prostrations, you do it like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, the sinner, and you prostrate. So this deacon would see his guardian angel doing the cross and falling down and doing prostrations and saying the prayer. So this is where the dilemma happens. Let's have a look at how we're going to explain all this. But, when it, but it was not simple. When the evil one has had you wrapped in deception for two whole years, you ready? This is the explanation. Then even your eyes and ears are deluded. He can make you imagine that you hear the Theotokos virgin and that he makes you imagine that you've seen him do the, whatever, the sign of the cross. But they're not doing it. Because the, the, the person's mind has become blinded, the demons, as I wanted to read today, but we haven't got time, from Staritz Macarius of Optina, where he writes in a book, it's called Spiritual Errors of Direction, which I'm going to try and get, for you people, it's an excellent book. And at the end of that, there's a whole, he's writing a letter to someone who had fallen into deception. And one of the deceptions was that while he was praying, he would hear the demons, the real demon, in this case, this person knew, repeating the words. And Elder Macarius says they're doing that so they can pretend that they're not scared of the prayer. Even now the Orthodox Church teaches that the demons are scared of the prayer. He was repeating the prayer of this person that Elder Macarius thought about. And Elder Macarius said he wasn't saying the prayer. You think he was saying the prayer. He was mumbling and he was quoting from St. Vasanufius the Great and he was saying that the demons mumble. But he makes out, he tells you he, to imagine because of our fantasy that, that, that you're hearing the prayer. Imagine those who watch television. Some people that watch television from years where their fantasy is very active. Images and, and uh, those people would be more prone to believe in these things. And hence why the television is bad, especially for the young children. For the first few years of their life, don't touch it. If you want your children to have any hope of anything, it promotes fantasy. And as we can see from here, and in the letters of Elder Macarius, he actually says, the demons use our fantasy to present to us crosses that aren't crosses, they're figures. He goes, they're figures of shining or something like that. And they go, that's the cross and the person believes it. Or that's the prayer. And the next visit, the deacon with concealed inner gratification said to the confessor, Elder, everything was done. As you said, it is an angel of God, my guardian angel. He said, the Theotokos and virgin rejoice. And he made the sign of the cross with me. See, he imagined it. Father Savas understood it well. Two years of service to the cunning enemy could not be undone easily, but even though the devil knew many tricks, he could not prevail against the wisdom of God that shone in the God-bearing elder. Yes, the demon is tricky, but when you have a spirit-bearing elder, 
an elder which is full of the Holy Spirit, he's nothing. And he turned to the deacon and said to him, Father Savas, listen here, my child, pay attention. We will make one final test which will clear up the matter. The angels of God, so he couldn't convince him, sorry, he couldn't convince, the elder could not convince him that he did not hear the Theotokosan virgin and that he didn't see the cross. This person was fixed because of this fantasy and because of his deception, he believed that's what he saw. So anyway, so the elder backed off from that one. So he said to him, the angels of God can know everything because it is revealed to them by God, the elder saying. But the demons cannot, and many things are dark to them. Do you agree? The deacon says, yes, I agree, that the demons don't know everything, but the angels do because they're enlightened by God. Since you agree, pay attention to what you must do. At exactly this moment, I will think of something. And he thought something against the devil. The, 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 Father Savas had a thought, and what he said was something against the devil. But he didn't tell the deacon. And I will leave it hidden within my mind. Only I know. The, that, this evening, ask the angel. See how he still calls him angel? Didn't say ask the devil, because that will aggravate the deacon, make him upset, and maybe make him run away. Didn't want to aggravate him. So he went along with the deception a bit. Ask your angel to tell you what I thought. If he answers correctly, then undoubtedly he comes from God. Come and tell me what happens once you've done the test. See the discernment of a true spiritual father. And a lot of times I have to say that we as priests in the world... We are very limited. However, when someone comes to a priest with faith, even a limited priest a lot of times can say quite discerning things if the person has faith and humility. Someone said to an elder, Elder, why isn't there no, not many good spiritual fathers anymore? And the answer was, because there's not many good spiritual children. God doesn't give good spiritual fathers because there's no need for them because the people don't want them. When people start to change and become more thirsty and honour their spiritual fathers, respect their spiritual fathers, trust their spiritual fathers, then God then will send uh, spirit, uh, enlightened spiritual fathers. Personally, from my experience... I'm very limited, but I've had people in the past that have come to me with a lot of faith. They just have that they were very humble and they would ask some questions and I would be quite uh, shocked at times, I personally even got shocked, that I would um, be able to say things to them which I don't even know where it came from. doesn't mean that I'm a... A clairvoyant elder just means that it was because of the spiritual child that was coming. And other times when someone comes without faith, not in a very respectful way, they come and my mind feels like what the Greeks say when something's all mixed up. Greeks say it's like a Russian salad. I don't know why they say that. They think because a Russian salad's got everything in them. Might have 15, 20 ingredients. So they always say rosiko salata. They go, oh, I feel like a, my head's got like a Russian salad in it. So that's how I would feel sometimes. Um, com confused and I don't know what to say. 
So a lot of it does depend, and I've spoken to other priests and they say the same. They say sometimes they can't, they can't believe what can come out of a, a priest when a person has faith, when a person has true humility. Not many of them left around now, so and then we wonder why we're so limited. So we go on. So I think I'm still suffering from the Russian salad business because I'm, <laughs> I'm confused now. I don't know where I'm up to. What a second this evening. Uh, ah, tell me what happens, yes. When he returned to his um, little kaliva, as it's called, or little, the little hut, the house, the deacon felt a certain anxiety and he had like an unpleasant forewarning, like something was troubling him, like something was not right, which is good. At this, we learnt that last... We learned that last month that a lot of times when we have this uncertainty, it means that something's not right. Check. Speak to the spiritual father. Even if the spiritual father doesn't know, because God saw that you went to your spiritual father in humility to open up something, and even if he doesn't know what the answer is to your problem, God sees that you went and God will help you. At the same time, however, he marvelled at the elder's excellent idea. Now the affair would come to a crisis. When the deacon asked the angel that night to solve the problem, a faint disturbance crinkled his bright face. So the angel, the angel there, um, when the deacon said to him, tell me what the elder thought, his face that was bright and wonderful, all of a sudden his face actually became more disturbed really tight. He seemed confused. And the angel said, but my beloved father, why should you, a superior man, be interested in thoughts of a mortal? Like about what the priest said. You're lowering yourself. It's an unworthy desire. Would you not prefer that I show you tonight hell, paradise, the glory of the Lady Theotokos? She goes to the spiritual. I'll show you what it what hell is i'll show you paradise i'll show you because a lot of people that have had these experiences that have died or whatever or their souls have gone and the angel comes and takes them to hell these are real experiences takes them to hell shows them what hell is takes them to paradise takes them to so they worship christ these are very ex exceptional things there's a like anyway we i think we've got something like that at the back but anyway but the deacon, who had begun to suspect something, insisted, I am being obedient to my confessor. Tell me what did he think? The angel twisted and turned, trying to change the subject, but the deacon persistently brought him back to the question. Besides, this evasiveness did not make a good impression. The deacon was saying, why is he looking away why is he changing the subject why is he why is my angel unsettled why is it all crinkled why has he got problems so he says you you must tell me what the confessor was thinking it's a simple thing don't you know said the deacon to the angel the angel started to show his true colors take care deacon by this pettiness this is trivial you are in danger of losing my goodwill. The deacon says, I don't know. I'm asking you something easy for the last time. Do you or do you not know what Father Savas was thinking? 
At that moment, the shining appearance was cast aside, revealing a frightful form. It gnashed its teeth, you know, like that, and with a loud voice like a mad wild beast, he cried out. See, the demons rarely, rarely, rarely show who they are. They always come, and that's why the name of this talk is going to be... Um, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. St. Paul says that. Demons never appear in their ugliness because people would get scared and would run to the church. Always our thoughts, they're always angelic. Something. See, all the thoughts that he had were all nice thoughts. So the demons can appear as an angel of light, but they can also make us have thoughts that seem angelic, that seem spiritual, but they're not. That's how it all works. The fathers of the church say if someone saw the demon as he really is, in his ugliness of how horrible, they would die of a heart attack. They would die. Of course, the saints could see them a lot of times, but they were spiritual. But us as ordinary people, we could die from the shock. Or if we don't die, we'd run to church. They don't want us to run to church and run to the priest and say, Father, I'm scared and help me and read me prayers. They don't want that. So they just do all these other things. Then he cried out, then like a mad wild beast, he said, You are lost, wretch. Tomorrow at this hour you will be in the fire of hell. We will burn you, we will destroy you. See, they are friends. They, they pretend to be our friends, but the real thing is they want our destruction. With that, the deacon was alone and in ruins. All the sweetness of his two years of visions could not compensate for this present grief. If he had not been supported by the prayers of his confessor, who at that moment, at that very moment, was keeping vigil, praying and supplicating God for him, he would have given up his spirit, meaning he would have died. There it is. He would have given up his spirit. His spirit would have come out, he would have died on the spot. But the elder was praying. That's the importance of the priest as well. The priest... Is what, what's the purpose of the priest? The priest continually prays for his spiritual children. That's why when you have a relationship with the priest, a pious priest, a priest that's struggling, and that priest will always have you in his heart and will always commemorate you. Far away from the priest, who's going to pray for you? He would have died if it wasn't for the prayers of the elder. Several hours passed before he could pull himself together and stand on his feet. He could not stay in his caliva, in his, in, the, in his house. He saw no safety anywhere but with the confessor. At the time, the threat was roaring in his ears. Tomorrow, he kept on remembering what the, dem, the, the devil said, tomorrow at this hour you will be in hell. Terror pierced him right into his bones. Somehow, he reached the caliva of the resurrection, which is where the elder was. He seized hold of the elder's rasa and, he, and would not let go for a moment. Even when the elder had to sleep a little, he slept next to him, probably on the floor. Slept right there. He was so scared. He was terrified. Don't be afraid, my child. Be calm. How can I not be afraid, my father, when the hour is coming? Oh, the hour is coming when, the day, when they will take me. Oh, Christ, save me. This is real 
spiritual struggle. Not like people say, oh, the demons and the demons. Like a lot of Greek women, as I said to you last time, they go, oh, the, you know, the demons bothered me, this and that. And they're all little stupid things and amateur things. When we are struggling, then comes true struggle. In this case, this is very intense. But a spirit, an Orthodox Christian who's struggling will never, ever say with pride, because people, people say it with pride, they go, last night as I was praying, I felt the demons were bothering me. And as they're saying it, they're full of pride because it's like a game to them. Start struggling properly and then we'll see whether people will speak like that. And indeed, as the appointed hour, there came a violent attack of the evil spirits. From the deacon came cries of terror and despair. Save me, my father. I am lost. They are taken me. Save me. Father Savas prostrated himself, and with pain and tears, he prayed to the Lord to take pity on his servant and rebuke the evil demons. This is very exceptional, this. But I'll tell you, all spiritual fathers who are taking care of their spiritual children, pray continually for their souls. And I'll say it again. A spirit, uh, the, the, the devil hates one thing especially. He hates the relationship of a spiritual father for a spiritual child. And that's why we read in the books that the spiritual child has thoughts against the spiritual father thoughts that don't even exist he hate, he hates me oh, he doesn't like me he's against me and the person if he's inexperienced believes them and slowly slowly doesn't go to the spiritual father and that's why people should be open when they go to the spiritual father and say forgive me father but I'm, you know, I'm getting thoughts against you and forgive me. And the spiritual father reads prayers and things like that. And that's, and that's important. That happens. If someone's... I was reading the other night one of the books at the back which says, A Night in the Desert of the Holy Mountain. Actually, it was Metropolitan Yerothos Vlakos, who's a famous bishop in Greece, who's written a lot of books, beautiful books, on true spirituality. But he was an arch, I think he was, a, uh, he was an archman right at the time, if I remember. He went to Mount Athos and he spent a whole night in one of those, in the desert there, with our Holy Father. And they spoke about prayer and things like that. And the spiritual father, the Holy Elder, was talking to him about the temptations that the demons do. And he, the, the priest said, Oh, Father, we are unworthy of those things. The demons don't. They don't attack us. They don't. They they don't um, bother us because we're not spiritual. And this and I have to confess that I have. I think I don't know how many talks back somewhere. Maybe whew, maybe ten or talks back or fifteen. Who knows? I actually did say along those lines something similar that the demons do not bother people if they're not really leading spiritual lives or whatever. And when I read this. It helped me to understand that what I said wasn't completely right. Listen to what the elder said to this father. He said to him, don't say that. Don't say those things. Because when you experience some demonic warfare, you will have thoughts that it's because you're worthy. 
Because remember, remember what the father said? He said to the elder, he said to him, we're not worthy to be attacked by the demons for the demons to bother us. We're not worthy. We're not holy. And the elder said, if you speak like that, when you do have some temptations, then you will say, I am being attacked because I'm worthy. And now I want to re- correct myself of what I said months ago or whatever it was a year ago. The demons bother everyone. And now more and more I'm starting to see even a person who leads a very slack life, even they still get tempted. As soon as they come a little bit close to do a little bit of prayer, to read a bit of a book or something like that, all of a sudden things happen, the kids start crying or they have a fight with their wife or they get sick, they have an accident and this goes on and on and on and on. And even those who are leading very, very, very sinful lives, even them we can say the demons are still there on the side, waiting. So in a way they're still bothering. Why? Because they're scared that they might come to repentance. And that story which is at the back there in the book on spiritual reading where there was um, a monastery, I think it was mm, Russia, I think, or Romania. The monastery was very worldly. The monks weren't leading proper spiritual lives. And there was a library full of patristic books. And to cut a long story short, there was demons outside the library guarding. And then I think the saint said to them, what are you doing here? He goes, you've already got these monks. These monks are not even leading spiritual lives. Look at them, they're, they're worldly. He goes, what are you doing here? He goes, we're here guarding these books, those filthy, disgusting books, they said, meaning the, the holy books, because if one of those monks gets a, hand of, gets a hand on those books and starts to read a bit and starts to put it into practice, what he's reading, he goes, we're, we're finished. See? So I made a mistake. The demons are um, fighting everyone. Sometimes it's just not obvious. So remember, they want no one to be saved. His supplication was heard. The elder's prayer was heard. And the unhappy deacon was rescued from the mouth of the lion, meaning the devil. They thus ended that tragedy, a very instructive tragedy. Truly, visions, now this is the, the person who wrote the book, Archimandrite Cheruvim. Truly, visions and apparitions conceal many dangers. When we do not fully reveal our inner world, when we don't reveal what's in us, in confession... The enemy can do whatever he likes with us. How precious is a skillful confessor. All right, we're not, some of you, you can say, well, we're not monks. That doesn't matter. Learn to open up to the spiritual father. Say, Father, I have this thought, or I saw this, or while I was praying, I saw like a light in the room. Open up. Say everything. Because most of the time it's deception. But the story is not quite over yet. 
With time and with the instructions of Father Savas, the deacon became calm. His spiritual life developed well. Later he was ordained to the priesthood and was always distinguished for his piety. Nevertheless, those years of demonic delusions left unpleasant traces. Oh, this is another example. See this? He became a deacon. He, sorry, he was a deacon. He became a priest. He repented, obviously. But it says here that the demonic delusion that he was, that he was with for two years left unpleasant traces. The devil, you see, had acquired a certain right over him. He had, he had rights because he once entered into communion. And there's the, that's what I was trying to tell you before about another example, which I'll read another time. Um, was, was it for free that he had given him such delightful visions? Thus, even though he had come to the holy mountain in his youth and had grown up in angelic surroundings, as, that's, as they say, like angelic meaning all oh, the holy relics, the holy icons, the holy fathers there, Manathos, he came from young. But even though all that was there, he still had traces of the demonic uh, influence on him. In spite of all this, for the rest of his life, he was tormented by various troublesome temptations. All the discerning fathers of Manathos saw in this the remnants, meaning the, the remains, the traces, of two years' cooperation with the fallen angel. That's the end of the story. So if that happens for them, that's what happens to us. So be aware, if any of us have had encounters with demonic things, whether it's card readers, whether you've had coffees done, whether you've gone out of curiosity and delved into these demonic things, mediums and all that, you have to understand that this is a very serious sin. But with God, everything's forgivable. And I couldn't understand this properly until I found it one day in St. Nicodemus of Manathos. God does forgive. The sin is wiped off. And I'll give you a clue. You see, if I get my hand here and I get a knife and I cut my, my hand and it bleeds. After that, I go to the doctor, get my stitches. We have a doctor here. She can do them for me. Stitches it all up and it closes up. And after a while, it begins to heal. Correct? However, what's going to remain there? A scar. And that's what, El, that's what Saint Nicodemus says. That yes, our sins are forgiven, but the scars remain in our souls. There are always scars that are left. Especially if we fall into the sexual sins, they are one of the ones which St. Nicodemus says are quite frightful because they really affect people and especially these things of the magic and things like that. Yes, God will forgive. God, for God became a man so that we can become gods with small g to become godlike and be saved. He went through all that trouble and he stayed he, and he lived on earth and he was crucified and he suffered, etc., all this was for us. So if he's done all this for us, he's not going to forgive. He forgives everything. But we have to realise that there are scars that remain in us and we have to suffer. But we can use those scars 
as the Optin elders say, as a way of, uh, say we, we're involved in magic or something or something like that, and we have these scars and the demons bother us. Well, we can just, when that happens, we can say, Lord, forgive me, this is because of what I've done, constantly reminding us, constantly re re repenting, and that repentance can make us holy because really... Repentance is what makes us holy. And the Optin elders often say, don't think that your sins are going to stop you going to heaven. Sins don't stop you going to heaven. Unrepentant sins prevent you going to heaven. Repent of your sins, yes, and you can be saved. And whatever effects the sins have had on us, we use them as a way to help us to be humble. Do we have mental problems? Let's use our mental problems as a way to gain humility. Do we have demonic problems? We'll let those demonic problems help us because when we've got demonic problems, we pray, we read, we go to church more, things like that. So these things can help us. Don't look at it as being, oh, it's all devastating, it's all like um, there's no future for us. But we have to realise that some of our sins that we do, do affect us. That's it. I got through about one-tenth of what I wanted to get through, which is, which is the, the story of my life. Uh, any questions, quickly? Best way to get rid of the thoughts that we don't want. Sorry? What's the best way to get rid of the thoughts that we don't want? To, to get rid of the thoughts, the fathers say, first you try yourself, like, to pray, don't fight the thoughts, because they become more vicious, just pray. Just pray calmly and change the scene in your brain. You know, just think of holy things and pray simply. And that should do the job. However, if it becomes very, very, very intense and you can't get rid of them, then you must go to the spiritual father and confess it to them because it needs confession. And usually after you've read the prayer, a lot of times those things calm down. Next question. From America. On his talks, yeah. yeah. And I think he mentioned there that um, in the, like in Greece, in Russia, it's very obvious when people become possessed. Like there's a lot of them, and you know, even like I was in, in, um, in Ukraine recently, and you know, just during the Catholic prison, just you know, walk down the floor and you become actively possessed. Um, but um, he said that in the West, the, the, the elders said there's a lot of people that are possessed. Because they're not going near the holies. These things manifest themselves when they go near the holies. When a person starts to go close to the church, but especially if the person begins to repent and change the life, then a lot of times these things show themselves. However, people shouldn't get scared and say, oh, look, you know, if this happens to me, 
you know, God uses these things as a way to bring people close to him. So we shouldn't look at it as being devastated. Anybody say, oh, you know, but I know so many people who, because of demonic influence, came close to the church and became very, very pious. So we should look at things, whether it's cancer, whether it's mental illness, whether it's some other catastrophe in our life, these things are used for our good to help us come closer to God. We shouldn't say to God, I don't want that. I don't want you to have my child sick. I don't want you to have that. doesn't mean you're not going to try and get better or make the child better. You try, but at the end of the day, if you don't get better, that's something which will help you or me whatever, to come closer to God. The main thing is we're only going to be here for a few decades anyway. It doesn't matter. Some people say, oh, but how did God allow that little child to die at two years old with the worst cancer? Like, how can he be a, 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 such a good God if he allows the child to die and suffer? Or a five-year-old, ten-year-old. He, the child didn't get married, didn't have any children, didn't, didn't do anything, and the parents didn't see the child grow up. This is all disasters and catastrophes. And yet, and yet, if we could go to heaven where that child is and to say those same things the child not that the child will have anger because in heaven there is no anger but one can say in worldly ways the child will say what are you saying what are you saying so i so i suffered for a few years but now i live with god for eternity why are you complaining about it for you see this is where we get confused Demonic problems, mental illnesses and other things are all ways that God uses to bring us close to him. And we shouldn't look at it as devastated, even though it is difficult. Now, usually people like to ask questions at the end, come privately, which is good, but also um, Vladik is also here, which he, uh, and Father Alexander at the back. So if you have, because sometimes... The, long, the line's too long, and usually I leave one o'clock in the morning. But um, not that I mind, not that I mind, because I like when people have interest in this and that. But, you know, today with the, His Eminence and the Father Alexander, you can ask questions to them as well. And also His Eminence will be given out uh, as a blessing. But this was, these books are, are very nice books. These books were purchased, someone came to me and said um, that a non-Orthodox person that they know died, non-Orthodox. What can I do for their soul? And I said to him, look, I bought about 250 of these and, um, and I said, if you want, you can purchase a number of them for his soul. And that will help his soul. So whoever gets help from these books goes on his soul. Exactly how it works he wasn't awful. We don't know. It's not for us to judge what's going to happen. The main thing is that. So I would like you to, when you, when you get this book and later on during your prayers, those of you who pray, you can do a little prayer and say, Lord Jesus Christ, thy will be done on, I think his name was Tim, Timothy or something. That's it. That's how the Optin elders say that we pray for non-Orthodox. Lord Jesus Christ, thy will be done and you'll all get one of these books given out by His Eminence for free. 
And that's um, it. So can we please stand up? Thank you, Father, for the instructional talk. You've touched upon many of the subtleties and uh, dangers in the spiritual life. And you've uh, uncovered or unveiled it through the experiences of the saints. That's why it's so important for us, as Father said, to read the lives of the saints, because we learn from them, because the saints live the gospel in practice. uh, and they practice what our Savior taught. Thank you again, Father. Thank you, and for um, I say this not as a as a thing, but um, I believe that all the success of whatever success comes from the talks comes because we have the blessing of His Eminence to do the talks, and that's very, very, very important um, when we have the blessing of the bishop then everything's blessed. Everything just works out well. And I can't even, I can't even believe that we're already on to talk 33. This is the talk 33 today. And that all comes from the, the prayers and blessings of His Eminence for these talks. Thank you. And thank you for coming, and hopefully you can come again. Um, so um, you can come here and take um, one of each from His Eminence. And then you can go and eat. Ah, the prayer.